Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. That's right, it's a balmy, well, 52 degrees out there over cloudy skies. That's right, it's a weather forecast, too. Now, folks, I'm just giving you the uh, State of the Union as it stands weather-wise. As we, This is the first day of spring, isn't it, Joe? Uh, I don't know. It's, if not, yes, there was a first day, but whatever. either way, either way, it's spring has sprung, and folks, we're we're so glad to be coming, um, be broadcasting right here on the Global Star Radio Network. We broadcast Monday night, or every every weeknight, Monday through Friday, seven to ten p.m. Eastern Time. Again, right here on the Global Star Satellite Radio Network, as well as our good friends at BTR Blog Talk Radio and YouTube Live. That's right, three venues. Um, Listening live right now, upwards of 42 countries. Last year alone, 117 countries, 60 or 78.25 million downloads. So proud to, so proud that you have the belief and trust in us as we walk through the minefield of current events headlines together. Don't forget, folks, we've got two separate websites, actually three now, but, uh, the program website, hagmanandhagman.com. There you can watch the program live, listen to it live, all of the different uh, segments, and also hagmanreport.com there for news information analysis. And, of course, homelandsecurityus.com. That's my personal uh, website initiative, of course, and that's to bring you the uh, operational, well, the undercover operational, that's a public, public portal of the operational work that we do to expose what we can in terms of the infiltration here in our country of people that uh, that are really against the Constitution of the United States. At least that's how we see it. And, of course, I'm Doug Hagman at the helm, fellow investigator, researcher, co-host Joe Hagman, my son. Together we are the Hagman and Hagman Report. So proud to um, have our really a, a very interesting man a man that that uh, again has garnered my respect for a number of reasons not the least of which he's actually from where we sit right now where our studio is located Erie Pennsylvania his name is Joseph Bestone and um, he's a legend he indeed he's a legend he he's um a man who deserves in my view, everyone's respect um, for his undercover FBI investigative efforts, accomplishments, and for really cleaning up a lot of a lot of things, and, and for having the guts and, and, and the, the 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 courage to do what he has done. Um, certainly des- well deserving of our respect. Before we get to our guest, I want to mention that portions of tonight's broadcast brought to you by Policy Genius. I, I don't know how many of you out there don't have life insurance, folks. If you don't, now is the time to get it. You know, about, it's estimated 
that in the neighborhood of 35 million U.S. families have no life insurance at all, zero. That's 30% of U.S. households. Folks, don't put off getting a life insurance. I could tell you stories about uh, friends of mine who did, and um, a couple of them actually, and it, 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 it's just needless, needless, needless pain and suffering for the families. That's why there's PolicyGenius.com, P-O-L-I-C-Y, Genius.com, PolicyGenius.com. That is the place to go to save over 40% uh, off of other prices for life insurance. PolicyGenius.com, more on that later. But, Joe, I'm going to bring you, Joe, on, and uh, then we're going to bring our guest on. And this is, uh, folks, buckle up, because this is going to be a great program. Yeah, great to be here. Really looking forward to tonight's show. Um, talk about somebody who, as an undercover FBI in, FBI agent, infiltrated the mafia more so and got further than anybody really in the history um, and, and brought down just a, a whole host of criminal organizations, uh, really. And it's a, it's a fascinating story. Um, and without further ado, let's bring on Mr. Pistone. Welcome to the Hagman Report. Well, thank you for having me on. And uh, I guess it's kind of cold up there, huh, boys? <laughs> not too bad. Today, <laughs> but yeah. Well, it, it depends. See, yeah, 52 is not too bad for us, considering, you know, it's... Yeah, well, our, our 52, people. that's right. You guys are probably out in uh, T-shirts and uh, shorts. <laughs> you got that right. I can, I can remember living there, man. What are you, kidding? <laughs> well, you know, your your name came up. Uh, uh, your name came up. I was talking with a municipal court judge earlier today. Um, we had a conversation about uh, about about you. He, he knows of you. He doesn't know you, of course. Uh, uh, folks, we're talking with Joe Joe Dominic Pistone, alias Donnie Brasco. That's perhaps how you might know him. And we share something in common, and that commonality is the fact that we are from Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah, uh, I learned that today. Uh, Joe, you were born here uh, in Erie, right? Well, I, I actually was born in another part of the state, but um, I, I, I spent uh, a lot of my young years growing up uh, going to uh, school in Erie, yeah. Okay. And, yeah, uh, so, so, I mean, we, we've got some things in common, but, but, um, and in fact, I've got a, I've got a question I'll ask you later about, well, uh, and I'm not sure if you even want to answer it, but, um, how you picked up the, the name, uh, your last name, your last, uh, your surname, undercover surname, if that mm-hmm. has any connection to this town, but, uh. No, no, it has the, uh, it, uh, it doesn't. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, fair enough. <laughs> fair, you believe me? That's where we're going to leave it. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, okay. So uh, the the reason that that we're so glad to have you on, and the reason that uh, uh, you, your story is just such an incredible story. You were born in 1939. Uh, of course. What am I doing telling you this? Um, but your undercover work for the FBI. You spent six years, of course, infiltrating the Banano crime family. And, and I think everyone knows you like that. So if you just kind of want to give us a little bit about yourself, tell us a little bit about, about yourself, wherever you want to start, and we'll just pick it up from there conversationally. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I guess I spent, uh, I spent younger years in Erie. Uh, I went to, uh, Perry and, uh, Roosevelt, uh, those two schools. Mm-hmm. And then, 
Madison, uh, which I had, my family had lived there and then moved back to Erie and then moved back to Patterson, uh, Patterson, New Jersey. And I, I was a ball player. I played basketball, football, but uh, mostly basketball. That was that was my sport. And uh, <clears throat> went to Staunton Military Academy, Staunton, Virginia. Uh, played basketball there, and then uh, had a few offers to play basketball. And I went back to uh, actually, I went back to uh, New Jersey, uh, the Staunton Military Academy in, in Staunton, Virginia. And uh, I uh, went to William Patterson University and I played uh, three years of basketball there. And then I got married, so I didn't uh, I didn't play ball my senior year. And uh, in my senior year, I took the uh, I always wanted to be in, in law enforcement. I always wanted to be a police officer. Uh, and in my senior year, I took the exam for the. Uh, uh, actually, the uh, Passaic County Park Police, and I passed it, and uh, was due to get appointed. And they told me that uh, I had a, I couldn't uh, complete my last year of college because I had to go to uh, to uh, the police academy. Well, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to give up four years of college, and uh, so I didn't. Uh, I stayed on. <clears throat> and uh when i uh when i graduated i applied for uh naval intelligence and uh, while they were doing all my background and everything i uh took a job in the patterson school district and uh i taught social studies uh for a year until i got appointed uh, to the office of naval intelligence uh <clears throat> while with naval intelligence uh I was assigned to the Philadelphia Naval uh, Naval Yard, and I got to know a lot of FBI agents and worked with the FBI. And uh, I, I guess I got re- recruited by the FBI and uh, took took the test for the FBI and uh, was uh, fortunate enough to pass. And it was the greatest decision I ever made. I mean, you know, because like I knew I was going to be uh, in, in law enforcement one way or another. Right. Um, and I figured, well, they're the premier law enforcement uh, agency. So after uh, my, my two years with Naval Intelligence, I uh, I got appointed a special agent with the FBI. Went to Quantico, did my I think it was sixteen weeks back then. Right. And uh, my first office out of training school was uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Okay, and I. And I- I just want to just kind of interject something here. Back when you became an FBI, you joined the FBI in 1969. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so this was during the time of J. Edgar Hoover. Um, yes, it was. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, Mr. Passon, that was a whole different FBI than it is today, right? I mean, back then it was. That well, was. I'll tell you, the years I worked under Mr. Hoover were. Some of the best years of my my years in the FBI. Uh, I can uh, imagine. He ran a, a straight as an arrow organization, and uh, you know, I, I I I just was just very proud of my years working under Mr. Hoover. You know, well, there was yeah. no uh, we 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 didn't bow to political pressure from either side. Uh, and everybody had rules 
rules, you know, you knew you were going to uh, get yeah, gigged, right. and that's, that's, right. that's the way it was. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I, I was just thinking about this, the difference between today, and, and I, I won't dwell on this, but the difference between back then when you were an agent, when you were hired, um, you know, uh, knowing that J. Edgar Hoover ran a tight ship, Despite, despite whatever, um, the, the, the fact that he had, uh, I mean, I have always, I've always believed this, that he always wrote in blue ink, um, and the reason I bring that up is because of just the, the structure of the FBI, as opposed to, then as opposed to today. And of course, so you, in my view, you were trained, it, this is, again, my personal opinion, you were trained, uh, with the, by the best and became the best and that enabled you to do what you did because I despite whatever what anyone might think of J. Edgar Hoover personally uh, I do I do believe that, that the structure of the FBI was, was such that he turned out some great agents and you were one you're, you're, you're exactly right uh, I, I agree with you 100% and you know he he made the FBI the premier law enforcement agency in the world, not the country, in the world. I mean, uh, every every major law enforcement agency throughout the world respects the FBI. I mean, he he, he developed one of the best crime labs in the world. Uh, he developed the uh, National Academy. What that is is that... Uh, uh, they bring in police officers from uh, the United States and uh, other other countries, and they complete a. I think it's a. It, I think it's a fourteen week. Uh, it's either fourteen or sixteen week uh, training session at the FBI Academy, uh, where they're uh, uh, and this this sixteen week training is accredited with the University of Virginia. So, uh, you know, he, he just developed so many, so many good programs that are still carried on today. Uh, and I, I think the best, you know, one of the best things is that, uh, in, in those, in those days, in the early days, uh, the structure was there. And, you know, look, look, let's face it, uh, uh, law enforcement, Agencies are, are paramilitary. You know, you have to be run uh, in, in an orderly fashion, uh, and and that's what he did. And Boy. Uh, again, yeah. you know, it, it considered the premier law enforcement agency in the world. Uh, and I hope that it, you know, yeah. I hope that people, you know. Uh, start to come around and think of it that way again, although, you know, we're getting kind of knocked the last couple of years or so, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. I, I often, uh, when I was when I was thinking about you today and uh, prior to the program, uh, my son Joe and I were talking, and uh, we were just wondering how, uh, number one, how J. Edgar Hoover would look back at the organization if he were alive today to see its current state. And then we were also talking. Well, there wouldn't be well. so many leaks, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wherever all uh, these leaks that, are coming from, he'd make sure that they'd get plugged quick, believe me. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, exactly. And then, and then we, then Joe and I were talking about too, um, the, the changes that you must have witnessed, uh, you know, that, that perhaps you might reflect on at, at, at later in the interview about the uh, changes in the FBI. Of course, we touched on that, but nonetheless. So, so okay. So, so you went to the office, of, uh, or you were involved in the, uh, uh, you took a position at the office of the Naval, uh, Naval Intelligence. And then, of course, you joined the FBI in 1969. And you were ultimately transferred, it's my understanding, to, to New York in 1974. And, and folks, think of 1974 New York. Um, I'm not, I was a young man back then, okay? But I remember New York, and I remember it being a rough and tumble, man, hijackings, uh, truck hijackings. I mean, it was, it was a pretty... The mob ran New York, let's put it that way. There, there you go. There you go. I mean, there you uh, go. So, New York was so, yeah. uh, a little bit short of the Wild West. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so tell us, after your transfer to New York, t- tell us, uh, you got to New York, uh, the, the FBI. I mean, I, I know you went to Jacksonville first, and then, mm-hmm. uh, right? So was it because of your experience with the, the, the 18-wheelers and bulldozers and such, and, and the fact that New York had such a problem with truck hijings, hijackings that you were transferred up there, or what well, happened after you were transferred? Well, what happened, basically, uh, you know, just to back up a little bit, when I was in Jacksonville, you know, I, uh, Jacksonville was <laughs> not too uh, far from being a wild west either back then. I mean, if you know anything about Jacksonville, Florida, uh, back in the days, there's a lot of... Uh, <clears throat> A lot of uh, not not mafia gangsters, but but you know a, a lot of uh, bad guys, a lot of bank burglars, bank robbers, uh, a lot of a lot of crime. And uh, I I got involved there doing some undercover work, uh, gam- uh, infiltrating gambling dens and. Uh, Buying, you know, buying stolen property, buying uh, stolen art, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I, that's when I started to do some some way undercover work, and then I actually got transferred to Alexandria, Virginia, uh, before New York. And uh, at the time, there was there wasn't any real undercover program in the FBI. It was just uh, maybe twenty, twenty five guys throughout the country that were doing undercover operations and none of them were, were long term they may be you know what we call a buy bust uh, <clears throat> the undercover agent gets introduced to the bad guy makes a deal and once you once the deal's consummated you, you know you arrest them or you know the operation might go a week a couple weeks but there was nothing real long term um, and I got involved in the same type of undercover operations uh, uh, in the Virginia, Washington D.C. area. Uh, and then uh, there was a, an undercover operation going out of Florida, where uh, they had a, a, a group of thieves that were stealing uh, high-priced automobiles. They stole tractor trailers, uh, and everything was made to order. You went to them and said, "Look, I want a Mercedes. Okay, what color you want? Um, what 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 interior you want? You know, what are all the bells and whistles you want on it?" And they would go out and go to the car lots and go to the car lot and steal it. And uh, it just so happens 
bad guys that were doing all these, uh, and, and they were going up and down the East Coast stealing, stealing this stuff. And uh, since uh, since I could drive an 18-wheeler, because I had done that all through my college years, I drove a tractor trailer during you know during the summers. Uh, I took on the job and uh, I learned how to actually you know how to steal cars <laughs> and uh, and trucks, and uh, that lasted about a year, maybe a little more than a year, and and then I got transferred. Uh, I was. Well, I actually had gotten transferred to New York during the time, and uh, that was a time when they were deciding that, that they might want to start another cover operation to uh, deal with uh, the individuals that were fencing uh, all the commodities that the mob were stealing. And, and as you had previously mentioned in your opening, uh, they were truck hijackings were big back then, and they were taking maybe four or five trucks a day. And they were all high-end commodities, uh, drugs, um, food, uh, you know, and every load was worth a, a couple million dollars. Uh, so the uh, I had a supervisor up there by the name of Guy Barada, and uh, his idea was, uh, well, because nobody had ever gotten close to the mafia, so they were thinking, well, let's see if we can get into the fences and... Uh, and get close to the fences and at least find out who's doing the hijackings and where they're, and recover these loads. So that's 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 how that started. Interesting. Yeah, and and actually, I've um, um, our, our my background is thirty years investigative experience in the private sector, not even close to you know anything with what you, you've done. However, um, in that capacity. Working, I, I've worked with insurance carriers who insured such loads. You know, um, insured the uh, uh, the cargo of, of the trucks, and we'd get called in, or I'd get called in on, on things that were over a million, or you know, at that time, million plus. And so, so uh, the um, if to put that on a graph, I mean, my goodness, back in the 70s late 70s uh, it was just incredible you know all of these these uh, truck hikers. but but yeah it's interesting okay so uh, wow all right but you said something here and I just kind of want to revisit this not too many agents in in the bureau were undercover for any length of time what you were what you said just correct me if I'm wrong you're looking at the uh, what just um, a couple of dozen and it would be just uh, buy and Testify, right? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No, no long-term yeah. stuff. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. So, obviously, there's a problem in the in the New York area, nationwide, but in New York area. And uh, I, I guess the story picks up when you become Donnie Brasco. Well, before you become Donnie Brasco, you're you're tapped to go into a uh, um, kind of a training program to uh, prepare prepare yourself for undercover work, right? Is is that well, not really, because back then uh, uh, we didn't have any any uh, any formal training. Um, these 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 agents that that uh, that were working these various undercover cases, these were just guys that were good street guys. They were good street agents, um, and um, they, they you know. They grew up in parts of the country, 
or you know they grew up in in, in the neighborhood you know so they were uh, <clears throat> just guys that, that knew the street and were uh, guys that were comfortable dealing with bad guys uh, and that's how they you know gravitated toward it and then you know as word spreads hey you know uh, uh, Joe's you know Joe's in New York and he and he's been doing some undercover and he's you know he knows about this hey uh, Steve's out in uh, St. Louis and he's been working some undercover cases regarding these types of violations so basically what happened was after uh, after a while uh, there was one um, individual by the name of Joe Yablonski who was a uh, <clears throat> a really great undercover agent and, and his his forte was stocks and bonds and uh, he decided well you know we ought to get all these these guys together at Quantico and they ought to spend a week together and go over, you know, just kick around different methods of infiltration, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but there was no training, you know, back then. And that's what we did and we just got to know each other and uh if we you know, if we ran into a, a problem and we knew that uh you know that that, that Mike out in uh and Chicago had had this type of case, you know, you'd call Mike and say, hey, Mike, you know, this is, uh, this is what I got. What do you suggest? And, and that's, that's how it all, that's how the whole program evolved from. Wow. Okay. So it was that informal, but, uh, certainly quite effective given the talent. Exactly. Yeah. Man. Okay. And isn't that, I, I just marvel at that given the, uh, uh, given the environment of today versus back then, but how you you all pulled it together, you know, I mean, it's it's an amazing thing. Okay, and and you, it's my understanding, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you grew up in a family. Um, you spoke Italian. You were fluent in Italian. Is that correct? No, not fluent. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself fluent. I mean, okay. I grew up in it. I grew up in an Italian family, Sicilian family. Uh, my parents uh, spoke Italian. Grandparents, uh, aunts and uncles, uh, and I grew up in an Italian, you know, an Italian neighborhood. And I think what was beneficial to me is growing up, uh, knowing, knowing wise guys in the neighborhood, you know. Because if you grow up in the Italian neighborhood, you know that you know you know there's going to be gangsters in the neighborhood. Uh, so you get to learn different. You know, as growing up Italian, you know you're told uh, don't talk unless you're you know you're <laughs> unless you're asked a question. You keep your mouth shut. You know, you don't you don't get into anybody else's business. Uh, stay away from those guys. You know. You learn uh, some street manners. Yeah, it's all. Look, it, it, it comes down to street manners. It comes down to street smarts, you know. And like I say, you know, growing up in, a, in an Italian household, you know, you don't. Uh, back in those days, uh, you, you listened, and that was it. You know, you spoke when you were when you were uh, spoken to. Exactly. And, and ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with uh, uh, former FBI agent Joe Pistone. Also known as, and you might know him, folks, as Donnie Brasco, a former FBI agent who worked undercover uh, infiltrating 
the Bonanno crime family, and to, to a lesser extent, or perhaps equal extent, the Colombo crime family, two of the largest uh, uh, mafia families in New York. And uh, Mr. Pistone was an agent for almost three decades. So he's got a ton of law enforcement experience behind him. Of course, he's legendary in the in the law enforcement circles and, of course, in Hollywood as well um, as Donnie Brasco. And that's who we're speaking with right now. But, uh, Mr. Piston, okay, so uh, this is fantastic. So now, I mean, you, what happened next? I mean, how did you go from where you were at that time into an undercover agent that, you were so successful in infiltrating the the, the mob. Well, what? you know, I, I, obviously there's there's some things that I, that I can't talk about because I don't want to give away, you know, uh, sure. operational things that are that 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 you could use today. I mean, look, undercover doesn't hasn't changed since uh, since day one. You know, as far as how you infiltrate, how you penetrate. But, you know, you have to have a good plan. Uh, and so, you know, we knew, we knew our targets, uh, and we knew where they hung out. And, uh, it, it, after building a legend, you know, you have to have a legend because, uh, why, why are, you know, why do they want to talk to you? Why are you there? You know, you're just hanging around to do nothing. Uh, so you have to you have to have a legend, and you know your legend is what your criminal profession is going to be, and in, in, in this uh, instance, and, and uh, I picked the, I picked uh, be a jewel thief, and the reason being is that you know when uh, pursuant to the uh, attorney general guidelines, uh, when you're working undercover, you can't get involved in crimes of violence. Uh, now, you, you know, you might get involved in violence uh, to protect yourself or, or to protect somebody else, but you can't get involved in crimes of violence. So you have to pick a profession that doesn't lean toward, you know, a violent, uh, toward violence. So I picked being a Jew thief because it's, it's, not, it's a nonviolent profession. Basically, it's a profession that you can operate alone. Uh, and... Um, that's what I settled on. <clears throat> so I, I learned all about diamonds and precious gems. It, it took a while, but I, I did. And, uh, yeah, I, I heard that. I, I heard that you were, you actually uh, were schooled, or you, you were taught, or self-taught, or advised for like well, five or school. six months. I went to school. Okay. I went to one of the. Uh, I went to one of the, the, the diamond schools and learned about diamonds and precious gems. I spent time with a, <clears throat> I spent time with a friendly jeweler, uh, who, you know, who, uh, whose diamond guy taught me about diamonds besides going to this course that I took, uh, on diamonds, uh, and precious gems. Because look, your, your, your legend is, is what makes you. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> as anybody knows, you know, there's two things on the street. You got you have to maintain your credibility and your respect. And if they catch you, you know, BSing about what you say you are, then there goes your there goes your credibility, and you know, then they lose respect for you. You know, if you say you're a diamond, if you say you're 
a jewel thief, you better know something about precious gems and you know and diamonds. So, <laughs> yeah, I would hope, or, or you're going to be uh, on the on <laughs> the way. It's a short-lived undercover <laughs> operation, and if it's with the wrong people, it's a short-lived life. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, so. Exactly. All right. And, and I think I don't know how many people really out there can appreciate the fact that your dedication to your undercover assignment. Uh, I, I heard you quoted one time. Somebody asked you if you enjoyed the undercover assignment, and your response was, "I endured it," and um, that stuck with me. Okay, but I, I guess people really have to understand. You, this was not a nine to five or even a, you know, six a.m. to six p.m. or whatever job. This was twenty four seven for what you were, you were undercover for. Yeah, this, this was a three hundred sixty five day a year, I mean, uh, day job. Uh, and you're right, it's not, it's not a nine to five, uh, because the idea is to get seen, to get known, hopefully get into conversations uh so you know bad guys they don't they don't work 9 to 5 they don't work monday to friday so it's a 7 day a week and you know because if if you only see monday to friday or uh, where the hell are you saturday and sunday you know so uh and when you're in these type operations you know you you divorce yourself from your uh and, and you know I don't mean that uh, you go get a divorce. I mean, from your home life, uh, from your uh, office situation, and uh, you're basically living out there uh, 24-7 trying to make the infiltration. And once you make the infiltration, then then you're really in 24-7. So you give up a lot. Uh, the undercover gives up a lot of, of uh, his or her uh, past life. Your social life now is is, is uh, with the with the group that you've infiltrated uh, because uh, you you know you're basically with them. And then, depending on who you've who you've infiltrated, you know you can't uh, you can't. You can't tell them that you're married. Uh, sure. You can't tell me you have kids because, you know, what are you going to do? Bring your wife and kids around? Yeah. Uh, so you got to have a good backstory and, uh, to, to build into your legend. And it's, it, it's tough. Let, let me say this, and I don't say this because it's me, but I mean, I, 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 I teach undercovers. I, I still teach, uh, undercover schools. Uh, everybody can't work undercover. It's it's not it's not an assignment for everybody. Um, you've got to have a different mental outlook on, on things, and you you, you got to be able to focus on on, on the task at hand and the situation. Uh, and you've got to detach yourself from from the situation that that you're in. So, uh, and I always tell you know I always tell everybody. To be a good undercover, you, you, you have to be a good police officer or FBI agent. But just because you are doesn't mean you're gonna you're gonna be a good undercover agent. And do you understand that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and th- th- there's an art, as much of a science. There's an art to it. And I, I heard it uh, 
uh, I've got a friend who worked undercover many years who said mm-hmm. you either have it or you don't. Exactly, you, that's exactly right. There's that the, you, the, the undercover's got the the next sense, <laughs> you know. Yep. And uh, uh, I always tell him is that look, I can't teach you to be an undercover. If, if you have it. We can improve upon your techniques because you know we we've been there. But if you don't have it, nobody's going to make you one. You, you, you can't know? be taught. Yeah, you, you can't yeah, be taught. Exactly. But, you know, it's not like a basketball yeah. player. You can shoot a thousand jump shots, and you can improve your shot. You know, it doesn't work that way. If you, if you have it, then we can improve upon it. But if you don't have it, if you don't have that mental toughness, uh, it's just, it, it's not going to work. And I'm surprised to to hear um, you st- you said you still teach uh, the classes or, or courses uh, undercover yes, operations. Uh, yeah. At, at Quantico. Um, not at Quantico. They don't. Uh, I, I I I teach uh, with with the bureau. I teach local, and I I teach uh, a lot overseas. Gotcha. All right, and I'm just curious, um, and and I apologize, and feel free right. not to answer any questions. If, if if there's a question that you said you know yeah. out of line, just tell me. But um, when you when you look at a group, we'll say for the first time, are you able to pretty much identify within the group that you see even today? Oh, that person, good. That person has it. That person, nah, not so much. Are you able to? To yeah, pretty much after, uh, probably after the second day, you know, okay. uh, of, of interaction with them, uh, with him or her, you know, because there's a lot of good female undercovers. Um, after, probably after, you know, some of them, you know, it, it's the first couple, couple conversations you have, you know, others that might sure. take you, you know, into the second day. Uh, but pretty much within a day or two days, you know, we can say, you know, you're not, you're not cut out for this. Understood. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, and of course, the, although that that may hurt that uh, candidate initially, it's certainly going to keep that person alive because. Uh, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Because you know, and one of the problems is is that you know. Um, this generation is so much into television, you know, and the social media and everything, and they they believe too much of what they you know, these police shows on, on television, you know, and, and real police work is not not really like that, and real undercover is not like you see on the on the uh, in the movies or on the uh, on these TV TV shows. Uh, it, it, Exactly. Undercover, you know, you got to be a good conversationalist. And unfortunately, uh, the generation today, how do they communicate with each other? <laughs> 140 characters or, yeah, exactly. Uh, 140 you. characters or less are texting, yeah. That's exactly right. And I mean, uh, yeah. I've seen it where. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I, where somebody's in in one pod, somebody's in the, the pod right next to them, and they're they're texting them. I mean, 
<laughs> why don't you just stand up and lean over the pot and talk to him? Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and you know, and, undercover yeah. is all about communication. And you don't communicate through texting, I mean, as far as ingratiating yourself or infiltrating that, you know, that's not how you, that's not how you, you, you uh, infiltrate a, a, uh, an organization by texting them or, you know, tweeting them or exactly. whatever. And, and you know, it, it's 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 amazing because many people know you as Donnie Brasco from the movie, and folks, Joe Pistone is our guest. You know him as Donnie Brasco, um, career FBI agent, still teaching undercover work. God bless this man. Um, uh, number one, because he's damn good at what he does uh, and has done, and he's. Uh, I'm sure has saved countless lives and brought law and order, the real kind, uh, during his time, during his field well, work. You, you, but, you know, you know what yeah. makes me feel good is that after, you know, you teach a class and then about, you know, maybe three weeks, a couple months later, you get a call and you say, hey, man, remember, you know, I, I, and, uh, remember that, that scenario that we did and you told me A, B, C, and D? Well, man, I, I just was in the same thing, and, and it, it all came back to me, and I got myself out of it. And I mean, that makes you feel good, you know. That uh, well, they're listening, and, and what you <laughs> and what you're telling them is working. Uh, I, and, and you know, today in today's environment in the FBI, I, I don't claim to know what it's like there, but I can honestly say it does me. It makes me feel good as an American. Over, well, as an American, uh, uh, you know, that's eligible for AARP, uh, <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> as an American, to, to really appreciate the fact that you're out there teaching, is still teaching, and, and really, um, that makes me feel good, and, and it does yeah. give me and hope. And, you know, it gives I, me hope. I, I, I will say that, um, that the young people are, you know, they, they may not have, all the street smarts that that you know that, that we had or we have, but they're they're willing to learn, and um, they're they're highly intelligent, and you know the ones that I've had in class that they're, they're dedicated, you know they're dedicated to to the um, to the organization, and they're dedicated, you know, they're dedicated to the country, you know, and that, that's all you. That's what I look for, you know, somebody that's that's dedicated to the organization that they're working for, and and dedicated, you know, to the uh, to the country and and to, to do what's right uh, and and what they're tasked to do. Well, that makes me feel good hearing that from a man of your caliber and experience. So, there, folks, there is hope out there yet that's for sure um mr stone if, if i can go back to your time okay so when you first got into you developed your legend or your legend well you developed your legend as a jewel thief under the name donnie brasco uh, i am i'm correct in that right in new york city yeah I, i'm just I'm, I'm just curious now you were married at the time right yes okay yes, I was. so you had to leave your your wife, your family, everything, and and give her a kiss and say, "I, I don't know when I'm going to be back." 
And, and, and you, you, you left your life and set up shop as Donnie Brasco in New York City. And really, man, I mean, you, you gave it all for your job and, and for the task at hand. Um, how did your wife take that? I mean, I'm just curious. Well, you know, there are, there are reasons, um, there are different reasons why guys take undercover jobs and, and some of them take it for the wrong reasons. Uh, my, my wife knew that I, that the reason that, that I, I was good at it and, um, And, and and she knew that, that that I was fulfilling, you know, a good a good deed to use, you know, lack of a better word. Um, now was she happy that I was, you know, gone so so long? No, but uh, the thing is, is that she knew I wasn't I wasn't taking undercover jobs, and I didn't sign on for this job uh, to be away from the family. You know, to be away right. from the situation. It was because, of, t- to me, it was part of my job. And uh, an undercover operation was the only way we figured that we could we could uh, get this investigation done. So okay. um, now, <clears throat> in these type of investigations, you know, you do move out of your residence, you, you get your own apartment. Uh, and your contact is very minimal with your real family because you can't uh, uh, you can't be going home every night. You know you're living at, you're living out of the apartment that you've rented. Uh, so, but uh, she you know she she handled it, and I think one of the reasons why she was very independent. Uh, very uh, athletic, and what I mean by that, you know, uh, worked out, went to the gym, was very close to our daughters, uh, and uh, just had that type of personality. In fact, she, her personality would have would have fit uh, fits the personality where she would have been a pretty good undercover agent herself. Uh, so, but you know, it, it, after a while, it gets it 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 it, it gets to be tough. Uh, and you know you just have to when you have a chance you just got to keep talking through it i mean uh in in law enforcement uh, the uh divorce rate is high and in yep. undercover uh in the field of undercover the divorce rate is even higher uh so you just got to have two individuals that are on the same uh same wavelength and uh the individual that's you know that's not working undercover has to realize that the individual that that is working undercover uh, is doing it for a purpose, and then then they believe in that purpose. Man, mission accomplished in your case, and you know I can I can only I, the, the and the reason I brought that up is because there are so many documentaries out there about you, so many interviews, you know. Um, and our our audience is ninety nine percent Christian, and you know they they just wonder, okay, you know how does how does that relationship even survive? That? Yeah, you gotta but, have you strong know, faith too. I mean, you know, we're, sure, you know, we're both uh, both Catholic, grew up Catholic, and still very yeah. active Catholics, and you know, you gotta believe yeah. in something, and that's that got us through. And, and, 
And, and you believe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I do suspect just from everything I've read about you, you believe in good versus evil, and, and you were fighting on the side of good. Oh, and, yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> so, and, and but by the way, uh, again, folks, uh, Joe Pistone is our guest, known as Donnie Brasco. Of course, you might remember him from the movie, 1997 movie, Donnie Brasco, where Johnny Depp played his character. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, featured Al Pacino and uh, mm-hmm. Bruno Kirby, James Russo, and many others. But, but Mike you Blackson. wrote a... Uh, oh, yeah, that's uh, right, right. Now, you wrote... Anne uh, Hayes played my wife. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, it was a hell of a cast, to be honest with you. Wow. Yes. Yeah. It's, I'm going to have to watch that again here. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen that. But you also have a book uh, that you wrote, an autobiography, right? Uh, my Undercover. Well, my first book was uh, Donnie Brasco, My Undercover Life in the Mafia. <laughs> and that's that's what the movie was made off of. And I was fortunate enough that that made the New York Times bestseller list. And then uh, <clears throat> a few years ago, I uh, I wrote a book with uh, Charles, Charles and Brandt uh, called uh, Unfinished Business. And the reason for the title that, it, that uh, this book contained information that I couldn't put in my first book because I was still in the process of testifying at, uh, at trials. Uh, mm-hmm. So we we couldn't, uh, I you know there there were some things I could I couldn't reveal, and then I uh, I came out with a book called the the way the wise guy, and uh, that's kind of uh, not light yeah I could say lighthearted that's kind of a uh, how wise guys act and you know around the people or how wise guys uh, when they go to a restaurant you know why they always get the best table and et cetera et cetera. Uh, and, and as you said, the first book, My Undercover Life of the Mafia, was uh, made into the movie Donnie Brasco uh, with uh, Johnny Depp. And then uh, <clears throat> there was a TV show uh, series at the, at the CBS. Uh, we did we did nine episodes, uh, and it was called Falcone. And uh, that's right. We. We were up against the Sopranos, and the problem was Sopranos was on HBO, and we were on CBS, and so we were, you know, we had to be kind of lily white back in the, you know, because that was back in uh, in in nineteen, uh, I mean, not uh, two thousand. So you right. know, TV wasn't as uh, racy as it is today. So we had to, you know, we had to uh, clean up the language and et cetera, et cetera. But we had, you know, we had nine good episodes. And uh, I'm gonna have to pull that and, off uh, on Netflix. You know, I, I remember that uh, contemporaneous to the time, and uh, yeah. I, I was I was never a big Sopranos fan, honestly. But but uh, Falcone, I think I caught a few. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was time. a good show. I mean, it was. CBS was really uh, hot on it, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, when you're doing a, an undercover mob show, you know, and and you you know, and you say, "Oh darn," 
it doesn't come out the same with a, with a gangster saying, "Oh darn," you know. So <laughs> I, 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 I I hear you, uh, and it, it's you know this is fascinating. And by the way, we I have to tell you we had uh, Charles Brandt on last week. We interviewed him. A great guy. Um, I love that man. Yeah. A great great person. Oh, yeah. what an incredible interview that was! Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but, but but so this is such, the, folks. This is so rich we're, we're in history. In, in um, and it's an honor, in my view, it's an honor to talk with not just a a legend in the sense of um, an, an an icon in law enforcement, and and that's what uh, Joe. That's who Joe Pistone is, in my view. Um, he's worthy of our respect and admiration because of his what he accomplished as an FBI agent. And we're about three and a half minutes or three minutes away from the top of the hour break. Um, so I don't want to get into too much uh, more here uh, be, be, until the other side of the break. But in, in the next three minutes, um, if you can just tell me this, uh, what... Uh, the the getting into that 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 operation as a jewel thief having that legend. Um, what was your first you know the first step into that? That was kind of a long process, wasn't it? I mean, you had to. There was a lot of the infiltration was not easy. I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, it was not because you know again you're dealing with the mafia. Uh, even though, uh, and you know, you don't just walk into a, into a, a, a bar or a restaurant and walk up to, to the mob guys in there and you know say, "Hey, I'm Donnie Brasco and uh, I'm a jewel thief and I want to start thieving with you." You know, uh, <laughs> because the mob, you know, you're not from the neighborhood. Nobody knows you, and you know that, that that's another thing that was uh, that you know that we were concerned about. There was nobody. You know, I couldn't say I was from Brooklyn uh, because if I was hanging out downtown in Little Italy, then they, you know, said, "Well, who do you know in Brooklyn?" Well, I couldn't give them a name, uh, and vice versa for all the different boroughs. So, you know, w- once I start talking to people, I just had to tell them, you know, uh, spent time in Miami, spent time in uh, in L.A. and cities that I knew, you know, uh, so. And that, that was that was one of the that that was one of the things, by the way, I, I, I admired about about you because you really and the way I understood it is you really uh, set the stage for other FBI agents, undercover operatives. You you essentially vouch for them and and open yeah, avenues. Yeah, we you know we can get into that later, but. Uh... How once I did infiltrate, how I became such such, such a trusted uh, individual with with the Bananos that uh, they they vouched uh, for other other FBI undercover uh, operations to uh, different families. I mean, that's what was the amazing part of the operation, which it never made the movie. Uh, you know, because, <laughs> because, you know, you're condensing uh, the movie in an hour and, you know, maybe two hours. But uh, that, that was the amazing part of it, that I was able to do that. Um, so we can get into that, you know, once, sure, once sure. we come back okay. from the break. Yeah, I, I, because uh, in in my view, at least from what I've seen, what I've read, 
and of course from your book uh titled Donnie Brasco My Undercover Life in the Mafia folks it's a great read it's on Amazon all of his books visit uh Joe Pistone's page on Amazon for all of his works including the uh book co-authored with Charles Brandt. I think you'll find this fascinating reading. Again, our guest tonight is Joe Pistone. You'll know him as Donnie Brasco, FBI undercover agent. Spent a lot of time, well, spent time working for Naval Intelligence and then a lot of time in the FBI working undercover. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on the Global Star Radio Network. Give us three minutes. We'll be back momentarily. And while you're out, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and also our social networking. Stay right with us. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Perhaps you're a business out there, a small business. Would you like to extend the reach of your business? I bet you would. Would you like to, to have the same opportunities as companies such as Omaha Steaks and Pro Flowers and, and Casper Mattress and some of the bigger companies out there? Would you like to have that same power? Advertise on our program. Go to HagmanandHagman.com or send an email to opportunities at HagmanandHagman.com. If you go to HagmanReport.com and HagmanandHagman.com, there's a link where you can, you can, you can, it's a big red box. You'll see it. You'll see it. Click on that link. And go ahead and read the benefits what we have created for you. I think it's I think it's a fabulous opportunity. For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com 
timberprofits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288. PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. Hagman Report. Uh, we have a very special guest tonight, Mr. Joe Pistone. You know him as uh, the FBI agent who is undercover, known as Donnie Brasco, infiltrating the mafia and bringing down um, some of these major criminal organizations. He's gotten further. He got further as an undercover FBI agent uh, in organized crime than any person really in the history of of operations inside the mafia. And, and I got to say, those who um Joe Pistone did not bring down as an FBI undercover agent are now in Congress. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Surely I jest. Right? No, it, it is our distinct pleasure to have with us FBI legend Joe Pistone and uh, an icon of undercover work. It's an honor for, for us to be able to speak with him. Um, Mr. Pistone, b- before the break, we were talking about a number of things, but um, the documentaries all talk about you, your work, your infiltration into the gang. And if you want to address some of that, go go ahead right now. And and, and uh, because that's that, that that's got to be. I mean, obviously, it's fascinating. Um, so many things happened to you during you. You were six years undercover, right? And you took took out like yes, with that with that operation six, yeah. My goodness. And if you want to discuss that a little bit. Uh, Please, uh, I'm sure our audience would love to hear it. I, I, I'm just not sure. I, I don't want to take you down any roads you don't want to go. So if you want yeah, to kind of narrate that, well, actually, you know, the 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 the, the premise of it was for me to. Uh, we had certain bars and restaurants targeted, uh, and the idea was to visit these bars and restaurants and get known, and hopefully get in conversation with. Uh, with some of the individuals that we were targeting, uh, or with any, you know, any individuals that were, uh, tied up, uh, or connected to, to, uh, to the, to the mob. Uh, and probably for the first seven months, you know, I, I didn't have any conver- conversations with anybody regarding any illegal activities. Uh, and then finally, uh, I had a breakthrough with 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 a bartender uh, at, at a place that I used to visit, and uh, they were actually uh, this this bar restaurant was actually a, a Lucchese, and the Lucchese is one of the one of the five families that uh, mafia families in New York, uh, and that's where these guys hung out. And I I eventually uh, broke the ice with. Uh, with this bartender and had conversations with him and he he finally uh started taking me out to to after hours uh card and crap games where he would you know uh actually introduce me to individuals and uh <clears throat> one individual that I met was actually was a Colombo uh Colombo individual uh and he was from Brooklyn so he had, he invited me out um to come out to his club uh, in Brooklyn, so I start going out there and 
once, and then uh, I got into an argument with uh, with two individuals that were in jail. They just got out of jail, and uh, I got into an argument with them. And it, you know, there there are certain rules that that the mafia has, um, and you know, some will get you killed, and 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 some won't. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> two of the rules that get you killed is that uh, if you get into an argument uh, with a mafia guy. Now, these are individuals that I'm talking about that have been officially inducted into a mafia family. So if, if you hear the word, uh, if you hear wise guy, uh, made guy, straightened out, good fellow, uh, these these terms are, are used for individuals that have been officially inducted into a particular mafia family. Uh, <clears throat> now, uh, another bit of information is that the mafia is not an equal opportunity employer. Uh, you have to be white, male, and Italian to be inducted into a, into a mafia family. Uh, individuals that, that are connected to the mafia family, that's what they're called. They're called connected guys. Uh, if they're white, male, and Italian, they're striving to be inducted into that particular mafia family. And how you do that is by showing your loyalty, by being a good earner. And what I mean by earner is bringing money into the family. I mean, it, it's all about money and, and, and respect, but mostly about money. Uh, and once once you prove that uh, that you're a good earner and you have respect for the family, uh, then there's a process you go through uh, <clears throat> to get inducted into the family. Mm-hmm. Well, these two and, and, and two of the rules uh, that'll get you killed is if you get into an argument with a uh, made guy, uh, if you insult him in front of other people, then he has the right to kill you because you know that's one of the rules you can't insult a made guy in front of other people the other rule is you can't physically get into a confrontation with a with a, a made guy uh, example if you get into a into a oral argument with 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 a made guy and you're not a made guy you're you're just a a uh, an associate uh, and if he slaps you, he gives you a slap, and you hit him back, well, you're going to get killed. He has a right to kill you. So, you know, there are two pretty good rules to know for an undercover agent is that uh, you can't embarrass yeah. a made guy, and you better not hit a made guy back. And and what you have to remember, and, and you know, this goes back to picking the right people to, to work undercover as far as... Uh, that mental toughness that I that I discussed earlier is uh, you have to realize that if you infiltrate if you infiltrate an organized crime group that is violent, you at some point in time are going to get into arguments with individuals in that group because on the street in these groups there's a lot of envy and jealousy. And why is somebody envious of you or jealous of you? Well, they may think you're making more money than they are. They may think you're closer to the boss than they are. Uh, so there's there's always this this infighting going on 
as far as people being jealous of the next guy or envious of the next guy. And uh, just so happens I got into an argument uh, with these two guys, and uh, after the and one of them was a made guy. And after the argument, I knew that uh, that that it could never be repaired, uh, and not not to get into it because it, it became physical. That actually was a physical confrontation that I got into. Was this uh, uh, Joe? Was was this that meeting that was called that was where you were like grilled for upwards of yeah, five hours? Yeah, I was, yeah. They they had me in the back room grilling me for like five hours, yeah. um, and they had their gun on. You know, they had a gun on a table, and and basically it was you know if you don't convince us. Uh, that uh you know that you're a real good jewel thief and you're not a you know you're not somebody that you don't say you are that uh you're not going you know you're only you're going out of this room rolled up in that rug you know so that if I didn't convince them you know chances are I mean not chances that you know they were going to kill me uh and that you know wow. that was about a five hour com- confrontation and the problem is in these situations is that uh, uh, once it's over, you know, you got to maintain your respect and credibility. So you can't, uh, you can't, you know, if 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 you just say, hey, look, you know, I understand that uh, your situation, and you know, let bygones be got bygones. Well, then what that does is it, uh, it's it's a red flag. There's something wrong. You know, because you you, you got to be mad that somebody's calling you out. Sure. And the only thing they understand here is, you know, is uh, is an oral and, and also a physical confrontation. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, I was fortunate that one of the guys wasn't, you know, one of the guys was a connected guy. So, you know, I had to get physical with him. So, you know, we had a kind of a, a three way scuffle. You, you couldn't, and, you couldn't yeah, hit the baby. Was, yeah, you couldn't I, hit the maid guy, right? Right. So, so, right. so, so you're mean, whooping on the, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm whooping on the other guy, but the maid guy's hitting me, and I can't do anything because if I hit him, then I'm done for. But I had to, I had to do this to maintain my credibility and respect, uh, because if you know, if, if I didn't go that way, then you know, chances are they would have killed me right there anyway. So. But after that, I, I I knew that I had to get away, and because uh, I, you know, this couldn't be be repaired. So, uh, but I had met uh, I had met a wise guy, a banana wise guy by the name of Tony Mira uh, during these these uh, after hours joints that, that I would take, and uh, so I I went down and <clears throat> I just started hanging around down a little bit and started hanging out with him. Uh, uh, he uh, he went to, he went to jail. Uh, he actually was out. He was he, he had gone. He was in for uh, for drug dealing, and then they remanded him. They put him back because he broke his uh, he broke his probation. So they put him back in, and uh, I, I uh, became friends with an individual of uh, Lefty Ruggiero, Benny Ruggiero, who was also a banana. So I started hanging out with him. And uh, he introduced me, you know, to um, to individuals in the family.
family, his captain. Uh, you know, the, the mafia is on is pretty much like a uh, like the military or or a police organization. They're they're very structured. You know, they have a boss, they have an underboss, they have a consigliere, and then they have ind- individuals that they call captains. And these individuals are all appointed by the boss. And then each captain has so many soldiers and uh, and uh, associates under them, and and that's called a crew. And that's how they earn, you know, that's how they earn all their illegal money uh, that way. The, the guys uh, under the captain. So I start hanging out down a little. Literally, start hanging out with Rogerio. Uh, he introduced me to uh, again. Uh, at the time, uh, the boss was uh, uh, Carmine Galenti, and then uh, the other boss was a guy named Nicky Marangello, and uh, his captain, uh, Lefty's captain, was a guy named Mike Sabella, and uh, so I became associated with them, and uh, <clears throat> became uh, pretty pretty well liked, pretty well respected. We were, you know, with Lefty, I was involved in bookmaking and uh, gambling operations. Uh, and then what happened was, uh, <clears throat> like I said, I, I was in pretty tight with, you know, they, they trusted me. Uh, uh, and the FBI had a, uh, an undercover operation going out in, in, in Milwaukee. And uh, they really weren't going anywhere. They had a good business going and so they asked me if I could, uh, any chance of bringing the Bananos out there. The, the, the boss of, of Milwaukee at the time was Frank Balistrieri. And uh, he was associated with Chicago because Ch- Chicago ran that all that territory out there. But he had his own family and he was a boss. Uh, so I said, let me see. So we, we, we uh, I met with the undercover who I had known. I had done other undercover jobs with him before, and uh, we come up with a plan uh, that we had known each other, and you know uh, how he contacted me, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I was to you know pass this on to to, to Rogerio and see if he would bite. Well, it took, you know, it took about two or three weeks before he finally, you know, finally got interested in some guy that I knew out in Milwaukee. Uh, And he got interested when I told him the guy had a whole business going and he had money, and that's when he got interested. But see, the the thing with the mafia is that you can't move into another mafia uh, family's territory. You have to get their permission. And Mm. the whole country's cut up. Um, even New York, all the families in New York have certain sections of all the boroughs that that they can conduct illegal business in. And uh, uh, a family from so New York, so highly came, highly structured, highly organized, very, highly structured, very high. That's that's why they they were in. Uh, you know, they've been operating for for so many for so many years. Is they're very very structured. And, you know, each family has its own boss, but then there's a commission made up of the bosses in New York and maybe a couple other bosses around the country who set the rules for the mafia as a whole. And back in the day, you know, in, 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 the, in, the, in the late 40s or whatever, they, they cut up the country. 
and uh, you know the Chicago mob had had the Midwest and and uh, uh, the Kansas City they had down you know in Kansas City so they they very structured that way and as I said one family cannot move into another family's designated territory without the permission of that family and then the family whose territory it is they dictate how much uh, the family can you know the, the when I say invaded family they don't really invade they come in and you know I mean with their permission but they have to get a cut of, of everything so and you have to go through a process of sitting down with them and discussing you know why you want to go into their territory what kind of illegal activities you want to conduct there and, and, and why you want to do it so the whole process of, of getting a, a, a meeting and what they call a sit down uh, it, 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 it's just a meeting with the Bananos and, and, and Milwaukee that probably took about a month because uh, Bananos have to call the way it worked the Bananos had to call Chicago explain everything to them why they wanted to go to Milwaukee then Milwaukee calls I mean that Chicago calls Milwaukee explains you know that the Bananos want to come out there and have a sit down and this is the reason and then Milwaukee could say yes or Milwaukee can say no if they say no then it, then it's a dead issue uh, they said yes so uh, me and Lefty have to fly to Milwaukee and we have a sit down with the boss and and his uh his administration uh and we have to explain to them you know that uh, that tony the undercover agent it, it has been associated with the bonanno family for 10 years he's out here now and you know he wants to he's got this business going and he wants to you know he wants to become involved in it and and, and uh and with their permission, you know, we'd like to we, we'd like to be involved in it. And uh, they eventually say yes, you know, but they have to uh, they have to get a piece of it. So now, what did what did we just do? We just married two mafia families to conduct business. Never happened before, right? That's amazing. Yeah, we, we exactly. Married two, we married two mafia families to, to go in business together. Uh, now, not not that they, they they don't, but when I say you know when I say us, I'm talking about you know the FBI, you know our undercover right. operation. So, and, and, and that's and that's no small feat. I, I just want to reiterate the fact that well, you, it, 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 it's not, and 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 because there's a whole lot more to it than you know than than I have time to explain here. Uh, sure. Because it it takes a you know it takes a long time. Um, these sit downs are you know are very tense. To, you know, at, at at the sit downs because you can't make a mistake. Mm. Uh, you know, um, yeah. so <clears throat> we had that going, and now I'm back in New York, and you know, and back in you know when I'm back in New York, I'm you know, I'm. Uh, uh, I'm meeting with, with through Lefty. I'm meeting all all wise guys from my mother. Uh, 
other families, you know, because of doing business with them. Um, so he's introducing me to, you know, to, to, to wise guys from the Columbos, from the Gambinos. Um, so, uh, okay. and then what happens is, uh, <clears throat> they, um, the, remember I said the boss of the family was an individual by the name of uh, Carmine Galenti. Well, Carmine Galenti right. controlled all the importation of uh, heroin into the United States from uh, uh, coming out of coming out of Italy and Sicily. Okay. Uh, he he controlled everything, and he was kind of a greedy guy in that uh, he wasn't sharing. He wasn't sharing this with anybody, and particularly with with the other mob families. Uh, and he, you know, he got a little too big for his britches, basically. So the they they killed him. Uh, they got permission from the commission to kill him, uh, with the promise that uh, that the Bonanos would, you know. Would, would share this, this this drug importation with with the uh, with the other families. Uh, so after they killed him, they uh, they appointed a boss who was named Rusty Rustelli, who at a prior time was was the underboss of the family. You know, at the, but he was in jail at the time, but he still was appointed boss. And uh, since since Mike Sabella, if you remember, I, I mentioned Mike Sabella, who was the captain that me and Lefty were under. He was close to Galenti, so they knocked him down. They just made him knocked him back to soldier. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it may be hard, you know, for your audience to follow because it, you know it, it, there's there's so much infighting and and uh, scheming. You know that goes on, but they, they they go to Mike and they say, "Look, you know, you either step down, give up your captainship, or we're going to kill you, or you're going to go with you know as a Galenti went." But so Mike right. steps down, and uh, <clears throat> Nicky Marangella they, they they tell him the same thing, so he steps down as underboss, and again they appoint you know uh, Russ Ustelli as the boss. Then there was a there was an individual out in uh, uh, in Brooklyn, and uh, his name was Sonny Black Napolitano, who they made a captain uh, because he was instrumental in, in the in the hit uh, in setting up the hit on on Galenti and 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 getting permission from uh, from the commission and. and Actually, Paulie Castellano, who was the head of the Gambino family, uh, and getting because you got to get permission to hit a boss. I mean, you just can't go do it. So they made him a captain, but he he was in Brooklyn. <clears throat> so they put me and Lefty under Sonny Black. So now, instead of you know reporting to Little Italy, we we have to report out every day to uh, Sonny Black in Brooklyn. And that's another thing with you. Whoever your captain is, you have to check in with him every day and report in, you know, every day to the to the social club uh, that they have. Uh, you have to maintain contact. You just can't 
you know, not be seen for, you know, for a few days or a week. There's some uh, accountability there. I mean, obviously. Yeah, there, there, there's big accountability. And, 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 and uh, you know, you hit it on the head. They're very, very structured. You know, it's a very structured organization. So we're, you know, uh, now with Sonny Black, you know, in, in Brooklyn again, still involved in gambling. Now, you know, he spreads out into, in, into drugs, uh, you know, bringing drugs up from... Not, not, you know, not only from out of the country, but up from Florida, et cetera. You know, gambling, uh, uh, extortion. I mean, they're into everything. There's, there's nothing that they're not into. Um, now, again, the FBI has another operation going out of Tampa, Florida, and, and, and it's a, it's a nightclub. And basically the same thing. They, they got a good thing going, but they're not getting to, and at the time, the boss of uh, Florida was an individual by the name of Sampo Tropicani. And he was an old-time, yep. he was an old-time boss. Yep. Uh, so, you know, we, we, the same thing, uh, do I think I can bring my bananos down to Florida? Well, you know, it was, I said, well, let me see. So, I go through the same thing now, um, and we have to go through the same uh, same ritual. Uh, I have to sit down with Sonny Black, you know, and Lefty, and and uh, we used to go to Miami a lot. And <clears throat> what I did was, uh, you know, we should, uh, the deal with the undercover was, look, you know, we're going to be in Miami. Come down to Miami, and, and you bump into me. And you know, we'll be in this uh, this hotel, and we'll be in the bar. Uh, you bump into me, and uh, uh, we take it from there. You know, we haven't seen each other in years. Blah blah blah. Uh, and what are you doing now? Well, I got a you know, I got a club up in Tampa. Why don't you guys come up? So that's how that worked. Uh, and, and just if I can interject something here, because yeah. I, uh, just to be clear, here you are, um, the FBI agent undercover Joe Pistone, um, as, um, Donnie Brasco. And for those of you with, uh, those listeners remembering the movie Donnie Brasco, uh, we'd be talking about Johnny Depp working with Al Pacino, Lefty, uh, Al Pacino portrayed Lefty, and, and you're traveling all over the country. But, but here's what I find fascinating, and I think what people really need to understand is you're setting up these, you're coordinating these, these, these meetings, these, these business operations. It, but, but that's only half the job. The other half of the job is to funnel that information back to the FBI where, where they're, imagine like a big corkboard where, where they're connecting the dot, the, the post-its with the yarn, you know, the, the, so that's, it's amazing. So you're, you're working double duty, I guess is what I'm Yeah, just, exactly. So. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, what you have to understand, you know, the, the audience is that, and like I said, you you got to forget what you see on television about undercover operations and an undercover. You know, an undercover is walking a fine line because you have basically three people. I like to say, you know, three mistresses that you have to satisfy. Number one, you got to satisfy your organization that you're 
doing what you're supposed to be doing on this undercover job. Then you got to be satisfying the bad guys. Then you got to be satisfying your home life. You know, with 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 your wife, or or if it's a female undercover, your husband or your boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever. You know, so you got three people that that yeah. that you have to make happy. And, and that's know? no small task. It's, it's not easy, uh, and especially with the you know, uh, especially with the bad guys, because you know they want everything now. And, and remember, I said there's a lot of a lot of envy and jealousy. So. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm real close to Sonny Black. Now, Lefty's my guy, but he's he's jealous because Sonny Black is taking such a liking to me. <laughs> Gee. You see what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So even though Sonny's our our boss, you know, I've known Lefty way longer than I've known Sonny. And, and like I say, Sonny, Sonny Black took a real liking to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so Lefty gets jealous. So it, it, you know. But at any rate, um, so we do the same thing. We, you know, we set up a meeting. And here's another thing, too. Um, you normally don't get to meet a boss. You don't get to sit down with a boss. Uh, but it, it, setting up the Milwaukee deal... Uh, had dinner with with the boss with Lefty. Had dinner at his house. I mean, to go to a boss's house for dinner. I mean, it's like you know, if you know the mob, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Um, so finally, through you know another few weeks, we get a meeting with Traffic Canny, uh and me and Sonny Black uh, sit down and, and, and have a meeting with Traffic Canny. And Sonny tells him that you know one of our guys again, you know, uh, is is in is in uh, in Tampa. He has an after hours place, a nightclub, and we like to start, you know, uh, doing gambling out of the nightclub. And, and uh, so after a few meetings, Traffic Candy gives us his blessing, and uh, and we just married another another fa- family. To the Bananos. You're making friends all over the place, all over the country. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. All right. Uh, now, now, if, if if I can ask you something here that that that's kind of a little off, but but maybe maybe at the periphery, in in all of this, I know your base of operation, as you said, is in New York, and right. then you expanded to Chicago, Milwaukee, and then down to Florida. Um, a lot of people are going to want to know this, and, and I certainly do as well. With your operation, your undercover work, were you bumping into um, a lot of politicians, a lot of powerful, influential people in politics? Was it was that was that going on back then? Well, uh, let, let, let me say this: during during my time, uh, yeah, they they you know. The mob was paying off. Uh, we were paying a, a, a detective to get us um, uh, reports on 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 organized crime. We were paying off a, 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 an under sheriff uh, to keep us abreast of what was going on. 
they had some judges in their pockets. Uh, they had politicians that were friendly toward them. Uh, now, I never met any of the politicians. I never met any of the judges. Um, but I knew the, you know, I knew, I knew the people in law enforcement uh, uh, that were, you know, that were getting paid off. Okay, one follow-up question to that, if I might, if you don't mind, and then we can get back. The follow-up question I have is for, we'll say for a judge, uh, to be paid off. Is there, is, is there something more than money, or is it just pure money, or is there a compromise? Involved? Well, you know, basically, you know what, you know what it is, basically? They catch them, uh, you know, you know, look, even though they're judges, they're human, right? So yep. they might have a drug habit. They might have a gambling habit. Uh, they might like women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they set them up, basically. You know, and if they know they have a gambling habit, uh, they just, you know, and they keep losing. They let them keep betting until they, they owe so much money, you know, yep. that they can never get out. So they start, doing, you know, they start doing what they ask them to do. Uh, if they like women, they'll put women on them. If they have a drug habit, you know, they'll supply them to drugs. I mean, uh, there's, you know, there's just so many, so many ways to catch them because look, they're, they, you know, some of them got the same weaknesses of everybody else. Certainly, certainly. But but it's interesting and, to you hear know, you, they, you know, say that once they got them. Uh, uh, then, they, then they work them to fix cases or, you know, or whatever they do. Amazing. But, but, but again, you know, you having lived this. As but now, let, let, let me say this. Let me say this. Sure. Since the last, you know, several years, since, since we really broke their backs, I mean, you know, uh, to bring them down to where they're just another organized crime group, uh, they, they've lost that. They've lost. They've lost that wherewithal, you know, to control, to really control judges or politicians or, or, or people in law enforcement. Uh, the younger guys just don't have the wherewithal to do that. Now, does that mean that there aren't some? No, it means it's not like it used to be. God. It's not like it used to be. Okay. Well, then that's good to know. And it's not like it used to be because of, in part, because of your efforts. Um, well, because of, of all, you know, all the FBI and law enforcement, you know, I mean, what we did, we, we, we showed that, that, that they weren't, you know, uh, in, uh, that they could be penetrated, that they, that, that it was an organization that you couldn't knock off the pedestal, you know. And once we showed that, then start going after them. I mean, we put every major boss in jail throughout the country. Uh, and it, it got to be where nobody wanted to be the boss, you know. Be, so, for fear um, of, for fear of uh, getting caught in the... Yeah, because they know they're... Right, because that, then we start targeting the bosses, you know, instead of just the... Uh, just the uh, the soldiers. We started going out, you know, because the bosses were always so insulated. Sure. And then we found, you know, we found ways to break through that insulation and put them all in jail. Hmm. Okay. So. Wow. So again, six years, folks. Our guest, uh, uh, Joe Pistone. You'll know him as 
You may know him as Donnie Brasco. This is the real Donnie Brasco, Joe Pistone. Uh, really a feature of, uh, of, uh, Donnie Brasco, the movie. His, his book, many books actually, but his books, including, um, oh my goodness, uh, uh, Donnie Brasco, My Undercover Life in the Mafia. A True Story by FBI Agent uh, Joseph D. Pistone and other books. Visit his Amazon page. Uh, Joe, do you have any other uh, web presence aside from your Amazon page or any no, places? No, I, I don't. Uh, okay, all right. I, I'm not that big on social media. <laughs> <laughs> she, you know, <laughs> me neither. Uh, there's just too much out there, man. I mean, God, uh, you know... Uh, I don't like people to know every time I walk out my front door. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yet so many people do, right? It's I don't know. Yeah. We we only have about twenty well about twenty minutes left, and this is such a fascinating to me, it's a fascinating subject. And you're a fascinating man, given your history. Um, as we wrap up your time in the FBI here, or doing what you did with the operation, well, Operation Donnie Brasco. Uh, I, I'd kind of want to, if you don't mind, uh, at some point uh, before the end of the sh- end, end of the, the episode here, I'd, I'd like to get your take on the current environment. Uh, you know, you had mentioned earlier about leaks and stuff. I don't know if you're opposed to talk about what's taking place to uh, with the FBI currently, but just you know, just your feelings about that. But but we can, uh, if you if if it's all right with you, we can we can hit that after uh, we yeah. complete your story here. But okay, so are you? By the way, are you still testifying in trials? I mean, it, no, no, I, 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 I'm not. Uh, okay, I I testified. I think I had that in about 22 trials, and that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness! You know, yes. Uh, no, I stopped testifying a, a couple years ago. Okay, but but I mean the, yeah. the trials for, from they lasted. Uh, during that operation, uh, twenty plus years, right? I mean, it was. Incredible. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I testified up until I guess it was ninety nine or maybe two thousand. <laughs> wow! In, in Think about trials. that. Okay. And what in uh, we we our our inbox or our social or our studio. Uh, Email is just blowing up here uh, from people. So many questions who have seen. Do you do the movie. a question? To, I mean, is that? Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, let, let me ask you this. This from Karen, and she's listening live. At, believe it or not, out of London, UK, wanting to know. No kidding. If, yeah. Now, if if you if spent a lot of would... time there. Oh well, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um. Uh. What, what was your? She, she wants to know. I'm just going to uh, encapsulate the question here. She, she wants to know what, what, what's your most fearful moment that you know you thought perhaps you um, you might be uh, uh, killed or or, or or taken out. Well, of the, the time you know the time we were in that locked room for five hours with the gun on the table yeah. and telling me if I didn't satisfy her answers, I was going to get rolled up in a rug. <laughs> and, and take it out in a rug, and uh, you know it's funny things that you think of. And the first thing came to my mind: I hope it's a Persian rug. <laughs> okay. You, go out, you might as well go on to 
$50,000 rug, right? <laughs> That's one way. Uh, that was one of them. Uh, I mean, there were several others, but uh, that, that, that basically was because I was boxed in, and, you know, just in a little room, you know, with uh, bars on our windows, and, and there was no way out. Mike. Uh, okay. But uh, that probably was right. the, the the one that uh, uh, <laughs> okay. that now, I was now, more concerned about. Well, yeah, and yeah, I don't I don't blame you there. Uh, now this is from Robert, listening from Kansas City, wanting to know if there was anything within your investigation during that period of time as Donnie Brasco, anything that you learned that kind of came out of left field. This. Um, that you weren't expecting, or you know, some some huge revelation that, my goodness. Uh, well, you, you know, know I, like I say, I, I I always knew about the mafia because I grew up in a you know in that environment as far as a neighborhood where you know where mob guys were, and uh, I knew mob guys. I went to I went to high school with a couple of guys whose fathers were pretty big time gangsters. Uh, and you always know, you know, that they're into illegal activities. You know, you know they're into gambling. You know they're into, you know, swag, which is uh, stolen property, you know, uh, clothing right. and stuff. But you never get, you know, even though you're in a neighborhood, you never really uh, get to really know uh, the individuals. And, and, and the thing during my operation is that... Uh, when these guys get ordered to kill somebody, you know, they have to do it. Uh, it could be your brother. It could be, you know, your cousin. I mean, I knew guys that killed their son-in-laws, uh, guys that killed their uncles because they were ordered to do it. Uh, and you don't, you know, you don't back off because if you do, then you then, then you're going to get killed. Uh, and in the mafia, unlike in the movies, you know, there's no negotiating uh, contract. You get the contract to kill somebody. You, you, it's your responsibility. And then once after they kill them, it, it's like the guy was never there. That you know, they never mentioned their name again. Wow. And that that that's what's the most enlightening thing. Like I say, you know, growing up in the neighborhood, you know, you know, you know about the gambling. You know about the. You know the hijackings, and but you don't know about the about the murders, you know, because once once a guy's gone, he's gone, and that's it. Okay. Another question from Roger out of this from Roger from Brooklyn, wanting to know: uh, Did you take part in or have any knowledge of the Lufthansa heist in uh, 1978? That was one of the no, biggest. No, uh, I, I, I had no. Uh, that that was uh, that was a different family. Okay. Uh, but had no no part of and Columbus had no part of that. No. Okay. All right. And, and then uh, we got a, new, a lot of questions about an approximate number of people that you actually were responsible for uh, bringing to justice. Uh, and I've I've heard numbers of around what two hundred people. Yeah. Well. Uh, the closest I can I, I can figure out uh, all the trials uh, it was 235 uh, individuals and most of these uh, almost 
most all of them were, you know, known individuals. What I mean by that, they weren't just, you know, some the lowest kind of totem pole. Most of these were mid-level and mid-level up uh, in, in, in the different mafia families. Okay. All right. That's that's an amazing number for which, I mean, so what you've done uh, to clean up our country. Um, were uh, this, okay, this from Helen, uh, and I believe this would be Miami. Yeah, I, I, okay, from Miami, wanting to know, uh, were drugs a big part of the mafia operation? And she, and she writes down about, she, she was writing about, uh, it, it, a lot of television shows and such say that the, the mafia, uh, kind of shunned away, shunned from the drug operations. But in your, in your experience, that wasn't the case? No, it wasn't the case. Um, it, drugs was, was a big money maker for, for the mafia. Now, the difference is, is that the big money on, on, on the drugs, uh, is from the you know the importation and the distribution in in you know in in in, in kilo size and not street sales. Now the, you know the mafia didn't get involved in, in the street sales. You know they they would get involved in 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 the kilo sales to individuals who then you know did the street sales. But uh, uh, drugs was a big part of the uh, in- income. Yeah. Very big part. Okay. All right. Very good. We have another question from John J. Listing live from British Columbia. Uh, let me see. Let me water this question uh, down a tad here. Um, okay. Well, in, in your experience, is the what is known as the mafia, or what has what people would recognize as being the mafia, is it still in existence today? Is the infrastructure still there? Yeah, the mafia is still in existence. The structure is still there, but it's not as strong as it was, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, simply because, as I mentioned, we put all the, all the bosses in jail, you know, who were the, the core. The, uh, the individuals today, uh, they're so far removed from, from the heritage, you know, uh, and also, what has been a big uh, blow to the mafia is, is what they made money from also hurt them because the younger guys started using it. Where, you mm-hmm. know, the old timers or, or the guys of, uh, you know, when I was in or a few years after, it was strictly a money maker for them. They didn't use it, but then the young guys started using it. Um, so, uh, and the young guys, you know, again, with the big push and attack on the mafia where we put all the, you know, the major individuals in jail, they lost their control of the unions. I mean, you know, they they might have a union here or there, but they don't control uh, any of the major unions anymore. And, you know, they don't control... Uh, uh, law enforcement and, and, and politicians like they did because the younger guys just don't have the wherewithal to, to, to cultivate these people. Uh, so basically what it's down to, it's a criminal organization. Uh, 
that at one point in time when they controlled basically the country, they don't control the country anymore. Uh, and where other organized crime groups, such as the Russians, the Albanians, um, the Colombians, uh, were afraid of them, they're not afraid of the mafia anymore. Uh, Interesting. At one, at one point in time, they all... You know, they all had to make deals with the mafia to operate. Well, not anymore. They, you know, they pretty much do what they want to do. Interesting. And we have so many questions uh, about current events. Your perception, given the fact of your of your incredible history with the FBI, your incredible history as a, as a law enforcement officer, undercover agent. Um, many people are sending us questions and wanting to know what. Uh, and again, I'm going to leave it up to your, um, you know, what you feel comfortable talking about, but, but what you see taking place now, outside of the, the documentaries you've done, here you are, um, what do you see? You mentioned the leaks earlier. I certainly want to make sure that we get, we get this in, uh, the, the FBI, the leaks, the investigations. We saw Comey, um, on television on the Senate subcommittee hearings testifying uh, any thoughts any thoughts you want to share on what you know what's what, about the FBI as an organization unofficially from Joe Pistone well, you know, it, 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 it's a different time but my you know look we never commented on ongoing investigations and it didn't matter who asked us you know you found out about the investigation when you know when it was time to go to court, and that's one of the you know that's one of the negatives I see you know commenting on 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 investigations and you know you I can comment that that we're conducting that there's an investigation going on, but you know that's all well. You know, I, I can't make any further comment. Well, you, you, that's enough. You know, uh, we're investigating somebody. Where mm-hmm. we never did that. Uh, it was strictly between the FBI and, and, and the U.S. Attorney's Office, and that was it. Uh, I, I, I don't think law enforcement needs to, you know, needs to be so politically correct that that they give away, you know, all their investigative techniques or who they're investigating uh, uh, at any particular time. I mean, uh, it's hard enough conducting an investigation uh, without, you know, without tipping in individuals or or without leaks coming out of wherever they're coming out of. I mean, I don't know where the leaks are coming, but... I mean, in your lifetime, you ever see transcripts of somebody's conversation in the in the newspapers a week later? <laughs> I mean, it's like crazy. All right, it, 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 you're you're exactly right, and and thanks for pointing that out. As a law enforcement officer, uh, in your capacity and and well recognized and decorated, to me, to me, that's the crime. That if anything, um, yeah, and and and. I mean, uh, I don't get it. Uh, you know, it, it's a felony, and uh, I don't see they, they may be doing a, a lot of behind-the-scenes investigation. But uh, you know, I, I heard a commentator say yesterday or today, 
and <clears throat> the FBI found Tom Brady's jersey, football jersey in Mexico, but they can't find out who's <laughs> who's who's committing all these leaks. I, I heard I the same kind of, thing. I mean, I, uh, I'm not laughing, but I thought that was kind of a you know a, a, a funny comment, you know. Yeah, funny and not so funny. You know what kind I mean? I mean, not funny, yeah. but you, you, you get yeah. the gist of it, right? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. You're telling me, yeah, you can find uh, Brady's jersey, but you can't, you can't yeah. plug it or find out who's leaking. I find. I that, mean, now yeah. uh, again, I sure you know. I know they're on it, you know, uh, but. Certain leaks. There's only certain people that have knowledge of certain conversations, you know. And you start there, and then you narrow it down. And it's not like you know, a thousand people have knowledge of certain conversations, right? I mean, there may be right. you know a handful of people, right? And and you go from there. And so, I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. I know how exactly. I would conduct the investigation, but I nobody's asking me. Well, I'll tell you something. I would put your name in the in the hat there to be asked because of your experience, because of your dedication, and uh, your. I mean, I'll tell you something uh, again. A legend, uh, a man I respect because of the dedication and because of the justice you brought to uh, so many people on behalf of the United well, States. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that. We 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 have got, we only have about two minutes left. If you can believe this, okay. Is there anything? Is there anything that we haven't covered? You're speaking to a pretty well, wide you know, audience. Just that uh, uh, I was due to get get inducted into the Bonanno Kai family. Uh, I was proposed for membership into the family. I was due to get inducted, uh, but what happened was there was a uh, there was a a rift within the family. Uh, three individuals, three cabinets were trying to take over the family. They weren't aligned with Russell Rustelli. And the individuals that I was aligned with uh, ended up killing these three individuals. So there was kind of a war going on now, a shooting war within the Bonanno family. Uh, <clears throat> I was due to get inducted into the family and, become, and actually become an official member of the Bonanno family in December. Uh, but due to this war that had started in May, uh, the FBI ended the uh, operation July 28th, so I never did get uh, officially inducted into the Bonanno family. But uh, as the first uh, law enforcement officer that was uh, FBI agent or anybody that was uh, proposed and accepted for membership into a, into a, a, a mafia family. Man. Uh, I don't even know what to say to that, except, you know, my go-to word is wow. And that that's sufficient as far as I'm concerned. Wow. Again, you're a legend, and, well, and I mean you. that in every sense of the word. Tell that to um, my wife and kids, you know, when my wife tells me to take the garbage out, you know. <laughs> say, yeah, hey, you're talking no. to a legend. <laughs> <laughs> well, with everything you've seen, i got to tell you, everything you've seen. And isn't that true, though? You know, you're out there. We're all out there cleaning up the poop after the dog. And uh, Exactly. Know. Legend yeah. or no legend. There the you Florida's, go. The Florida's uh, needs some 
scrubbing, you know. <laughs> I hear you, my brother. <laughs> Mr. It's, Pasone, it's, it's all good. Hey, you know what? I, uh, I, what I did feel about you, I, uh, if anybody gets the escape channel, I don't, yes. I don't know. Uh, at 10 o'clock on Wednesday evenings, I got a, I got a TV show on there called Deep Undercover. Okay. It, it's on Wednesday at at 10 p.m. on the Escape Channel, deep undercover, and basically what it is, it's uh, it's an hour show, uh, and we uh, we feature uh, real live undercover uh, operations that that have taken place, and you know they've all been adjudicated, uh, and and we feature the undercover agent and do a little reenactment of uh, his or her case. We will promote the heck out of that, um, and I'm going to look that up. Escape Channel, 10 o'clock Wednesday, you said? Wednesday, Deep undercover. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll promote the heck out of it and provide a link in our program description. Mr. Pistone, you've been you've been so gracious with your time. Thank well, you so thank very you much. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you. All right, my brother. You take care. God bless. All right, you too. God All bless. Right. Ciao. All right. Bye-bye. That was Joe Pistone, also known as Donnie Brasco. Folks, we're going to be back. Stay right where you're at. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, HagmanReport.com. That's our website, HagmanandHagman.com, for the show information, HomelandSecurityUS.com for news, um, news investigative reports. Well, let me put it that way. That's being resurrected. And many things coming your way, exciting things coming your way, some by necessity. And that's what we're going to be getting into with our guest uh, this hour, Josh Tolley. And there's many things to talk about, many things. It stands off tonight because of some situations uh, that we need to get out in the open. We need to let let you know about very, very extremely important. This hour is critical, folks. If um, And please, tell a neighbor, tell a friend, tell a family member about this hour of the show because this will be an hour to to be played over and over again. I can guarantee you, before we get to our guest uh, that Joe's going to be bringing on, just a moment to tell you about Policy Genius. You know, I thought I knew a lot about life, health insurance, uh, insurance of all types, but I have to tell you, Policy Genius, well, it made life insurance for me a lot easier. It, it, it's not that it, it's not that I thought it was complicated. It's just that I did not realize all of the things that I learned through Policy Genius. I want to ask you if you've got life insurance. If you don't, how come? Why not? Do you think it's too expensive or a hassle? I don't care how old you are. And if you don't have life insurance, let me ask you, what would happen to your family if something happened to you, if you're the primary wage earner? To me, and this is my point of view, I'm a guy. I want to take care of my family. If I'm the primary wage earner, if I'm not here, I want to make sure my family is taken care of. And that's my responsibility. That's why I turn to Policy Genius. PolicyGenius.com is the best online life insurance marketplace, bar none. The most accurate quotes from the top A rated life insurance companies. No more will you go to a captive agent. No more. This is the go to place, bar none policygenius.com they've got a very simple user friendly website where you can shop and compare all of the top rated life insurance companies and give you they give you the best options they have a licensed customer service team to me that's important they'll help you find the best policy at the best possible price I have used this 
my daughter used this with great success. Yes, she signed up via policygenius.com. And while you're there, check out other insurance offerings like health insurance. And you know what? Even insurance for your pet. Hey, lady, studio dog, come here, baby. That's right. Uh, it's okay. I'm gonna just gonna, gonna get some old pet insurance on you. Folks, go to policygenius.com today. That's P-O-L-I-C-Y genius policy genius p-o-l-i-c-y-g-e-n-i-u-s policy genius.com just today to save over 40 percent off of other prices for your life insurance you know when life insurers compete for your business you save money once more policy genius.com i'll spell it one more time for you that's p-o-l-i-c-y-g-e-n-i-u-s.com Right now we are joined by Josh Tully of the Josh Tully Show. He's come on to talk about um, a number of things, but one, the most important, something that happened to him recently um, was the censorship of a YouTube video that he had put out there for all to see. Josh, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Hey, Joe. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. Nice to talk to you, too. It's a pleasure to be back on with you, gentlemen. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Have you. You know, Josh, I don't know exactly where you want to start, but uh, I just want to start by making an opening statement, then I'll toss it to you and Joe. Number one, I'm outraged. I'm I'm angry. I watched a video that you did of an interview with a woman at the, I believe it was a state capitol in Missouri. It's on mm-hmm. your, your um, YouTube channel. And it's my understanding that this YouTube, uh, there's a video, because of the information contained that, that you... Your investigation um, has revealed this video has been censored. Basically, I don't know how else to put it. Censored, uh, uh, not the, the link doesn't work in, in cases. I mean, it's just it's been beat up. The news, the people behind the news, don't want this information out, and I am angry. And uh, I, I watched it not once but twice, and I'm uh, I'm upset. Not at just the information. There's two stories here: the information that you uncovered and then the censorship of that very same information. With that, I'm yeah. going to turn it over to you and Joe. Yeah, Josh, go ahead. Why don't yeah. you um, explain what was going on with, with uh, your YouTube channel? So the the YouTube channel got a little bit censored, like like Doug was saying. It's, it's interesting because we've had videos on the channel that have had over a million hits. We have multiple videos with over a million hits. None of those multi-million hit videos had nearly the traction that this had. This was being, it, I mean, it just exploded on Twitter. It was it was a trending topic. It was everywhere on Facebook. Then we started getting messages on how the posts were disappearing or how uh, they would post it, but then they would go to hit the post, you know, to make it live, and there an air message would come up. And it got to the point where people were sending us in screenshots, uh, one lady sent us a message that said at first she tried to post the link. That wasn't working. So she just posted like a synopsis of the story with my name in it and said, go look up Josh Tully's YouTube channel. That got blocked. And we actually have screenshots of this. And then she said, Josh, I, I took out your name. I took out Josh Tully and they let me post it. So it got to the point where even my name was being blocked. We've been contacted by other news outlets about the blockage. They were like, hey. We've heard about this video. People around the newsroom have been talking about the the revelation that's coming through this video. We've tried to open it, and it won't work. We've tried it on Explorer, on Chrome, on on, uh, Firefox. 
And then, so we took it down, we re-uploaded it, gave it a new link, and that one is actually still available. People can watch that one, but the view count is nowhere near the traffic count. So people were getting air messages posting that as well. So then we decided, okay, let's kind of split it up into five little mini videos so it'll give it a different address and people can share that. But the reality is that a lot of these social platforms are, are either taking down the post or won't let the post go through or, you know, link broken, error message comes up. And it was obvious based just on the number of screenshots. We're not talking about, you know, one or two people who don't know how to use YouTube or maybe they're new or something. We're talking about literally hundreds of people from all across the, the political spectrum including other news organizations saying, hey, we can't get this link, link to stick. So there was obviously a pushback against this video. Why? I mean, I know why, but... Why? So what this video is, and, and here's the deal. I want people to share it. You can. I'm giving you permission. If you want to copy it and put it on your channel, go ahead. Like, really, I'm not doing this so you go to my channel. Take it. Put it up yourself. Just do whatever you have to do. We were put in touch with a lady, and we're just going to call her Jill. We were put in touch with a lady who works in a government capacity. We'll just say that. And we did the interview right in the state capitol. Now, she's not an employment. Uh, she's not an employee of the government, but she works in association with a government capacity. Well, this lady in the video outlines how she had been partaking in the U.N. refugee resettlement projects that are happening in Missouri. And she finally had enough. She had to blow the whistle. And she's saying, Josh, this is what's happening. There are airplanes landing in not only Missouri, Kansas City, St. Louis, but other places in the middle of the night. And on these airplanes are refugees. Now, these aren't coming in in the official numbers. These are unvetted, undocumented refugees. And I said, so you know they're unvetted? She said, Absolutely. She said 24 hours before they got on the plane, nobody knew who these people were. The most common name is an acronym called FUNU, which I never even heard of, but it stands for full name unknown. Like she said, Josh, we literally have no clue who these people are. They get off of an airplane. They're carrying tuberculosis and a number of other diseases, which has been proven. People can Google that. Minnesota, Tennessee, and a number of other states are trying to sound the alarm on the contagions that are coming in, or whatever you call them, that are coming in on these refugees. The um, doctor, I think her name is, uh, oh, I just had her on the show. She's the head of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons. She was on my show talking about how this is absolutely an epidemic. Nobody's talking about it. The whooping cough outbreak we saw last year was linked to refugees. The respiratory issue that was mysterious last spring, that was caused by refugees, but nobody wants to admit it. So these refugees are coming in completely unvetted, completely carrying pathogens, and they're just letting them into the airport in the middle of the night. They're taken to a separate room. She asked about the airplanes because these airplanes are regular commercial flights. It's not like some sort of UFO sort of, no, they're regular flights. She says, well, are, are they going to sterilize the airplane before, you know, Americans get on this in the morning on their commute to Cleveland? No, not at all. So they put them in a separate room. They're asked for their name if they happen to know it, but they can give anything at all, or they go by FUNU. 
which means at some point they're going to assign him a name. And this is what sent her over the edge. This is what turned her into a whistleblower. She said, Josh, we give them social security numbers. Not, wow. not you know, hey, we register them with the, the government to let them know we're here. No, 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 no. They, they're, they're skipping... They're skipping go. They're collecting the $200. They're getting Social Security numbers. She says, then we immediately take them to another place. We fill out the paperwork for them to get American passports. And I even asked her to clarify. I said, wait a second. So you're telling me that they get a Social Security number and a U.S. passport? She said, yes, without any hesitation. And I said, well, that's the golden ticket. Now, Now they're no longer some stranger from a foreign land they're not somebody with a green card no they have a regular social security number like you or I and she said Josh this is happening all over the place there are organizations that are making money running these refugees like um, most of them are are religiously based which kind of ties into something I know you guys were talking about a year ago when I was listening to your show where you have like Catholic charities and I'm not picking on Catholics but you have like Catholic charities you have Lutheran outreach you have all these religiously themed outreach programs, they're making $2,500 a refugee. They're running refugees the same way as these coyotes are running people across the Mexican border. These organizations are making money running refugees. And we're filming this interview, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is insane. If I wasn't sitting in this room right now, I wouldn't believe half the stuff coming out of your mouth. And then, Doug, you and I talked about that, how there's a lot of weird stuff on the internet. But this lady, you even asked me, well, is there proof? The answer is yes. This lady actually put together an entire presentation that she presented to the security or Department of Homeland Security um, committee, whatever it is, for the Missouri legislature. She's presented this information. Like, here, this is really happening, guys. So we aired, we, we filmed the video, the interview, and we put it up on the YouTube channel. I aired part of it on my live broadcast, and then it starts getting banned in places. But in the interim, while people were still watching it, we got contacted a multiple number of times. We're working on an interview right now with a Lutheran pastor who actually resigned his position because he said, Josh, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know who to tell. But I resigned as a pastor from the Lutheran Church because the Lutheran Church Senate that I'm, I'm part of is making money running refugees. And I brought my concern to the Senate leadership, and I said, either this stops or I have to leave. They're not stopping. They're making a ton of money. And when we're talking about a ton, we're literally talking about tens of millions. The Lutheran outreach aspect of this was somewhere between 40 and $50 million they're making. The Catholic, Catholic Charities outreach part, that's over $60 million. So we're talking about a ton of money. He said, Josh, I quit. I had to resign being a pastor because my church is now making money running refugees. I got contacted by a lady here in St. Louis. She works for a company. And she says, Josh, we're hiding them through our HR. We're hiding them through payroll. The, the, the refugees will come in. My boss is part of one of these outreaches, and they will run the employee through the, the funnel, will claim that Funu is working for the company, will pay him $20,000 over the course of the year, but in reality, he got that money up front. And this lady confirmed that. She goes, yeah, they get an EBT debit card right away, and they get money on it. They tell them or they tell the public if they ever ask, well, this is for gas money. They don't have a car. What, what are they putting gas in? And then these people go into society. And she said, Josh, here's the problem. We don't keep track of them. Because now they're U.S. people with Social Security numbers and passports. There's no need to keep track of them. Why would the FBI watch them? It's not like they're officially immigrants. And 
She said, so there's nothing from keeping them from walking over the border to Illinois or walking or taking a bus, whatever. You get the point. To get to another state, there's nothing stopping them. They have free reign of the entire country now, and nobody's watching. And, you know, on the way home, me and the camera crew were doing some, some just math in our heads. And we said, okay, so she knows this is happening in St. Louis and Kansas City. Maybe just two big cities. But what if it's happening in two big cities in every state? That's 100 locations. And if 100 refugees are fitting on an airplane, that's 10,000 refugees every time they do a rotation. And so that was just math we were doing in our head on a, on a trip back. But then she said something in the interview that really kind of was alarming. She said, Josh, this isn't refugees. This isn't immigration. This is an invasion. We're being invaded. And she said, um, this was off camera, but we asked her in camera about, you know, are they mostly um, women and children like we've been told? And she says, no, they're mostly men. But off camera, we asked her, I said, do you see any? She goes, I haven't seen a child yet. So then you're thinking, okay, well, if that's the case, and a lot of them are refugees, well, we decided to go down that path a little bit with something that I know I brought up on your guys' show a while ago, and that's the fact that refugees come with certain protections, and they come with something else called the U.N. Where there's refugees, there can be U.N. peacekeepers. So I asked her about that in the film, and I said, well, wait a second. If they're technically still refugees, but they're getting Social Security numbers and passports, refugees come with U.N. peacekeepers, or at least the ability. She said, yes. And this is why you're seeing these conspiracy news sort of reports where people are saying, yeah, we're spotting U.N. vehicles in St. Louis. We're spotting U.N. vehicles in Kansas City. And all of this stuff is going completely, nobody knows it's happening. And I asked her again in the interview, and I said, well, do bureaucrats, governors, congressmen, do they know this is happening? And she said, in most cases, no, they have no clue. And then if states try to fight back, like Tennessee and Texas are trying to fight back, one, they're fighting the losing battle, but two, they just hide it under another third party called Wilson Fish. So now it's not the government's resettling people into your state. Calm down, that's not happening. It's a private entity called Wilson Fish, which is basically a professional refugee-running organization, and they run them into your state, so now you don't even know. Now it's not even under the state record. There's no clue. There's no record of these people coming in. And if I can so interject, that's what she was exposing. Yes. Go ahead. If I can interject one thing, and, and folks, I really want everyone to understand, Wilson Fish, this was so named for its congressional sponsors. This is a, uh, a, a bill that was added um Back in 1984, it's an amendment to the Immigration and Nationality Act that authorized the Secretary of Health and Human Services to implement alternative projects for refugees. And I believe, based on my research, uh, Josh, that this is this Wilson Fish program, this alternative uh, resettlement, refugee resettlement thing, is at one of is one of the keys to this. I just want to throw that in there. Continue on, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. And so this this issue comes out, and then Facebook and Twitter and Google, uh, Google+, Plus, they, they, they try to block this thing from getting out there. Now, thankfully, some people have gotten it out there, but it, it's getting that, that funnel of, oh, well, it's fake news. So even people like the Gateway Pundit, the Bellway Pundit, and even the Blaze, which is an organization I'm not always in agreement with, but even they've contacted us 
on the idea that, hey, wait a second, this is being censored, and hey, wait a second, this is happening. We need to do more follow-up stories on this. So and that's what this is really all about. I think that's a great place to kick this off. And I would just urge people again, go ahead and take it. Go ahead and take it. Copy it, do whatever, put it out there, because people have to see this. And keep your eye open for things. Because, Doug, this is something else you and I were talking about uh, yesterday, I think it was, or today, whenever. As a, as a hobby kind of amateur student pilot, right, I have an app that lets me see transponders of airplanes. And it's a cool thing when you're flying, but it's just kind of a fun plane spotting thing when you're just on the ground, too. And about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I started seeing these videos online where people would have the app out, and they would say, wait a second, something's going on here. I see an airplane above me, see, and they'll pan up and they'll show an airplane. Then they'll look down on the app and they'll say, but technically there's no airplane. And we're not talking about Area 51, you know, B-52 before we knew it sort of, you know, well, of course they kept it hidden. We're talking about, you can see on camera, it's a commercial airliner. It's landing at a commercial airport. So this isn't some sort of, you know, maybe they're just hiding advanced tech. No, 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 no. It, you can see it, broad daylight. But it's not showing up. Its transponder is not, is not pinging on the app. And for a while, I thought, well, these are just some sort of weird, crazy, conspiracy, kooky sort of videos. I don't even know if I believe this. But now, after talking to this woman about how they're landing airplanes without people knowing, maybe. Maybe they're turning the transponders off. Maybe. She didn't say that. That's just my speculation. But it it, it makes sense because when she asked, wait a second, why are we landing these people in the middle of the night? Why are they coming in at midnight, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning? The answer from the U.N. Settle, or refugee resettlement participants was, oh, oh, the flights are cheaper. Well, we know that's a bunch of, of hogwash because, one, the time you fly doesn't really change the price all that much. Two, they're chartering out this, the airplane anyway. Three, they're flying them in from someplace that's 20 hours away. So did they leave in the middle of the night? So th that whole idea is just is just an excuse. They don't want you to know these people are coming through the airports. And, Josh, this is something, um, this reminds me of a story that went, it was completely underreported. Um, I don't remember where I saw it, but about six months, eight months ago, there was a story describing exactly what you're talking about, coming out of Germany, how Merkel was flying refugees under the cover of the night that were not being documented, that were being uh, flown in by plane, bussed out uh, from the airports, yeah. from a number of different airports in Germany, and nobody really picked up on it. Um, but it's something that I... You're I, right, I, I forgot. Yeah, it's something I, I caught, and we talked about a little bit on the show, um, but there was no, you know, it, it seemed to die out. That story died out really quickly, and there was no follow-up, there was no... Uh, anything about it. I'm going to have to see if I can still find it, but it sounds uh, eerily similar to, to what I remember reading about what's happening in Germany. And, and in the article, they went on to say that, you know, they only had uh, knowledge of, of a, that this was happening two, three times a night, but they went on to say that they believe that this was happening not only in Germany, but all across Europe and in much larger numbers than what they were able to, to provide at the time. And it's very uh, well, troublesome to, go ahead. No, I, 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 I just say, and, and that that might be the reason why we're seeing such a rapid increase in the Muslim population too, because my wife is part of a of an organization where they have a, a, a like a national convention, and part of what they were talking about even nine months ago, how there were about twenty five hundred mosques in the United States. Well, just this week we looked it up again, 
and there's, uh, what was it, like 30, whatever, 900 mosques more. So in the nine months that it's been since the convention, we've added 900 more mosques, so 100 mosques per month. It's the fastest-growing religion and population group in the U.S., and, of course, part of that's because converts, too. You don't have to import converts. People who are here convert, and then it increases the number as well. But a lot of people are starting to say, hey, wait a second, where did all these people come from? We just had dinner with some, some business friends of ours, and they live in uh, small-town Illinois. And they're like, man, this town that we're in, it's been totally taken over. It, it, it's been totally taken over. There are Muslims everywhere. We have no clue where these people came from. Nobody told us there were refugees resettling here officially. Where'd they all come from? And well, then you hear reports like what you just said, Joe, and what this lady just said in the interview, and it starts to make sense. Like, all of a sudden, well, wait a second, yeah. We're adding tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, a million-plus Muslims in the past year and a half. Well, holy cow. And at the same time, we're, we're supposedly losing religion in this country. Three million people a year now list themselves as non-believers in anything, but somehow the Muslim faith grew by a hundred mosques a month, really? Yeah, and, and I found the article, um, 16th of August, 2016, Germany's secret night refugee flights. Uh, this goes on to talk about, um, it says, uh, Chancellor, German Chancellor Angela Merkel's government is flying massive numbers of Muslims into German airports and military bases on secret night flights. That was a charge by a German writer, uh, Mr. Mahler, and they go on to say that um, the government has been denying these claims as, as being false, uh, but they say that Merkel's credibility on this issue is non-existent as she has been caught repeatedly in lies and deception on migration and refugee matters. Uh, and that's on the New American, and I'll, I'll read into this further later, but it's very troubling. Um, with what you're, you're talking about. And in the article, they do go on to say not only the refugee crime cover-up, but there is a refugee invasion. And they're talking about, you know, how many immigrants and refugees Germany brought in that's on the radar, but the massive amounts that is are coming in in the back door, they, they call it an astronomical number. And they say that in Germany they're bringing in 1, 1 to 1.5 million in a two-year period. And that... Um, that's very troubling because you know, uh, and, and another thing I, I wonder about is, um, you know, they get a, these multinational NGO organizations are are being paid. Who's paying the bill? Did you did you find out who's paying the twenty five hundred dollars oh, yeah. a head? Yeah, it's it's tax dollars. So what happens is we we set aside money for for refugee resettlement, and she explains that in this video how they the the number used to be like a cap of fifty thousand refugees a year, then we upped it to a hundred thousand, then it went down a little bit, then it went up again. But the government sets aside money just for this purpose, and it's billions of dollars. But like we've seen in the past, one the government always lies about numbers, always. And if you talk to anybody in Europe, and I know you guys have listeners in Europe just like we do. If you talk to anybody in Europe, Europe is on fire right now. The government lies, and it doesn't matter where the government is. That's just part of government. Government lies. Sweden tried to lie. Oh, no, it's a safe place. And then that news story blew up because everybody in Sweden is like, what are you smoking? Rape is up through the roof. There's violence everywhere. Police won't even go in our neighborhoods. We can't find contractors to build new police stations because the contractors are being attacked with grenades, for goodness sakes. So wherever you hear, well, it's only 1.5, double it. 
And the same thing is true here. When, when you hear the government say, well, it's only 35,000, well, here's the thing. That's 35,000, and she points this out in the video, and it might be like 35,700 or whatever, but she points out the, the exact number in the video, and she said, Josh, that's since the first of the year. So even the official number is we brought in 35,000 since January 1. So whatever the government says the number is, always increase it. And the reality is that whether it's here in America or Europe or Asia or Northern Africa, you're seeing this massive influx of Islam and this massive influx of violence that comes along with it. And for some reason, naive Americans think that we are going to be the only country that doesn't have to deal with this. Notice how Canada was in the news today talking about how their citizens don't want the refugees either. They don't want people running across the border. They don't want people being dropped off in the middle of the night. So everybody on the planet seems to recognize this, except naive Americans thinking that we are going to be the only entity that's immune to this problem. That's right. And, and you know, the, these morons with the signs uh, basically welcoming these refugees. And, and I've got a problem with, with, with the term. Guys? No. Can you hear us? Can you hear us? Hello, can you hear Hello? us? Yes. Hello. We're still Hello? here, Jack. We're still. We're, we're here. We're here. Oh, uh, okay. Just checking. Uh, okay. My yeah. phone went dead there for a minute. Oh, gee, that, that's a coincidence. Um, <laughs> I, for one, however, you know, I, I've got to say this: I've got a problem with the term "refugee" versus "immigrant," uh, and and I know the um, uh, your. Uh, Jill, we'll call her, uh, in her, during your interview mentioned the same thing. Refugees versus immigrants under the 1980, um, act signed by Jimmy Carter, uh, a refugee is, there's three classification or three criteria for refugees. A refugee is categorized as fleeing from religious persecution or from a war-torn country or from a national disaster. But what we're seeing are not refugees. We are seeing immigrants that are being brought in here, as you pointed out, given Social Security cards, given the golden ticket, as you point out, the passport of the United States, and, hell, they can't even speak English. It's yeah, they ridiculous. don't even know their own names. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Funu. Funu. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if, this if, is crazy. What surprised me even more than the interview was the responses that we were getting from the interview. We had a lady in Minnesota who lives in that suburb that has now become basically little Baghdad. And she said, Josh, they intimidate you. They park outside your house and they laugh at you and they taunt at you because they know the police are not coming. They're not coming. This whole idea that somehow... You know, well, we have law and order in America. No, we don't, because a lot of a lot of these areas, the the police don't want to deal with the Muslim problem either. And as long as we continue to call Muslim a race or Islam a race, they're going to continue to label us racist. But Islam is not a race. There's Asian Muslims, white Muslims, black Muslims. It doesn't matter. It's a problem. And as long as we ignore the problem, the problem is going to continue to grow. And we've been talking about this for a long time. Islam is very smart. They're going to partner with other disenfranchised organizations in the U.S. We already know George Soros is funding a lot of this Islamic outrage. He's also funding Black Lives Matter. 
So these two groups are starting to merge, and you're going to see the conversion rate to Islam go through the roof while Donald Trump's president. And because they get to say, look at this bigot, look at the racist, you need to fight back against oppression. Don't you feel like you've been oppressed by the man for so long? Well, yes, I do. Well, come on over to Islam. We got what you need. And that's not even speculation. That's happening. Ask any prison ministry, what's your number one challenge in prison? And it's the rapid rate at the conversion to Islam that happens in prison. So it, it's not a myth. It's not a conspiracy. It's not a speculation. It's it's real. It's happening. Man, this is this is disconcerting, and everyone listening to this broadcast should be very concerned, and we should be proactive, active, proactive, whatever. Um, but, folks, our guest is Josh Tolley, T-O-L-L-E-Y. He's got a program daily. Folks, tune into his program. This video that we're talking about is on his channel. It's in the program description or will be in our video, in our um program description as well but make it go viral all right take that video link make it go viral get the word out um josh this is uh, i mean okay and i heard you during the interview you asked your you asked joe this um does donald trump know and I was interested in her response because it seems like he does respond to or watches his Twitter feed. Uh, of course, you know, assuming he's not shadow banned by now. But uh, having said that, um, what do we need to do? I mean, what, what, what can we do? What, 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 no, what should we do? Well, there's, there's a few things we should do. One, you need to contact your local politician your local people, your city councils, your county boards, because these refugees are coming in to to a lot of areas without these local politicians even knowing they're arriving. It's not like they have to fill out some sort of formal paperwork and say, here we are. See, what, what they're doing is really sly. They have the official program that says, well, yes, we notify a state, and, and we pick up the payment of the refugee for six months, and then it goes on the state welfare program, which is absolutely true and deplorable enough as it is. That right there is enough to say stop. That's enough. But in addition to the official program, there's the unofficial programs. And those are the ones that people are, are really starting to witness and speak out against. So talk to your, your politicians. Let them know what's going on. Let them know what you're seeing in, in your local areas. And be observant. Really be observant. We have had people contact us who said, Josh, I've witnessed the planes too. I had no clue until I watched this interview what was going on, but yep, it fits exactly to the T. They line up five vans, a bunch of people get in. We never see these people again. Nobody knows who the vans even belong to. There's no signage. So pay attention to what's going on. And then get prepared. Get prepared. This is coming. China is fighting Islam. Russia is fighting Islam. Do you really think that as we watch the hurricane consume the planet, that America is going to be immune to this? It's not. Right now, even the FBI, with how little we can trust the FBI, even the FBI says that 80% of mosques in this country are preaching a violent jihad message. Well, newsflash, that's 80 new mosques a month in addition to the ones that already exist. 
So we have to get ready for this. And getting ready means knowing your Bible. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a clue here, because they are very effective at converting the youth. I actually watched a man convert a pastor right on the street. And he knows the Bible so well that he twists Bible scripture to get the pastor to believe that he's actually a Muslim. Because most Christians, seven out of ten of, of the Christian believers in this country, have never read their Bible. So when a Muslim comes along and knows the Bible better than even the pastor, well, wait a second, yeah, maybe I am a Muslim. And he converts them right on the street, and they're very good at it. So start studying the Bible if you are a believer. Two, or three, whatever our number I'm on. Make sure you're involved in your schools. There is a program ripping through schools right now. Most parents have no clue it's happening. It's happening in even in private Christian schools. We have, uh, I think it was seven or nine here in, in St. Louis. That It's nine. That have their private Christian schools, but they've now instituted Islam. Because they go for a certain um, curriculum accreditation, and part of the agreement, if you want the accreditation, is you have to accommodate Islam. So there's a Christian academy here in St. Louis, for example, that has now added a prayer room. And the, the few parents that actually pay attention to their children's school said, wait a second, why is there a prayer room? And they said, well, it's, it's for any child that wants to pray. Any child can just go in there and pray. Well, hold on a second, Jack. The four Muslim students are the only ones that use it. We never had a prayer room until the four Muslim students got here. We had to change the lunch menu now to accommodate the four Muslim students, and most parents have no clue what's happening. And that's happening in private and public schools all across the country. And if you think, well, my kid, my kid goes to a Christian school, too bad. It's happening there, too, because in order to get the accreditation, you have to comply. And the Josh, other place they're attacking... Oh, go ahead. No, I just wanted to add this. Yesterday, we we touched on this a little bit. There's a few stories coming out about, uh, you know, private and public schools, both uh, some that the ACLU even sued to get Christian prayer and prayer groups taken out of, of the schools and after-school programs, have turned around and allowed these Muslim prayer rooms, have bought Muslim prayer rugs for these students, while still banning Christianity from these schools. It's such a, a, a hypocritical double standard that we see uh, going on, and anybody who has children in schools, public or private schools in America, should continue to ask their children uh, if these things are happening in their schools, because um, it is a double standard. It, it's just crazy to me that that even some of the schools the ACLU has have sued are now allowing, uh, turning around and, and um, being silent when when these Muslims are given. Uh, special rights that uh, others are not. Well, that's for two reasons. One, everybody's afraid of the Muslims. So nobody wants to say, well, we're going to ban your prayer practice because you might end up with your head laying in the ditch. And that's not even a figure that actually might happen. So people are afraid to stand up against the Muslims. They're certainly afraid if they're just a school teacher or a principal who never had to deal with this stuff before. Christians don't get mad and chop off your head. They just complain to the, the PTA. So there's a very real reality that says, well, I don't want to talk up against the Muslim because the Muslim might actually kill me. Then the second reality is, let's just be honest, the ACLU and all these other organizations have never really been for separation of church and state. They've been after the destruction of the Judeo-Christian Foundation. 
So they're ignoring every other religion because in Islam, for example, it actually helps their cause at destroying the Judeo-Christian foundation. So between those two elements, you're not going to have people stand up to Islam. That's why it's not happening in Germany. It's not happening outside New York. It's not happening in Nashville, where they have a massive Muslim population now. It's not happening in, in Minneapolis, because people are afraid to stand up. But in addition to the, the, the high schools, elementary schools, and middle schools, you also have to be worried about the colleges. See, they've, they've invested tens of billions of dollars. And even political pundits that I don't always agree with, like Ann Coulter, have been pointing this out for years. Saudi Arabia is buying chair positions at a vast number of colleges. And notice how they're not necessarily spreading Islam, but they're spreading an anti-Christian message, which is why your kid will go to school being a believer, but 70% of them come out of college not believing. And in addition, they're demasculating the men. Look at how many safe spaces we have now. Yale University just came out with a guideline that says we can't call them freshmen anymore. They have to be called first years because freshmen is, is too gender binary specific. Uh, we, we have instituted a policy where, you know, even white milk is considered racist. So they're taking away the manhood of the next generation. So that way, by the time this generation grows up, and takes its place in the world, they will be too afraid to stand up to Islam. And I know that is a fact, because last night we were at a political organization, and these were people who had enough, let's do something, right? And with the exception of two people, all of them were over 60. Because the 60s and overs came from a generation where, wait a second, we're getting invaded, somebody do something. The 40s and unders are so... Well, we have to be PC, and can we just coexist? It's such a great bumper sticker. And let's do interfaith conferences. And what about Chrislam? And we become so wussified where most pastors won't even talk about Islam or politics from the pulpit. They'll say it's because of their 501c3 status. Even the OIRS has never gone after a church for that. What it really is is they don't want to upset the apple cart and lose their donations every week. So we have been raising a sissy generation, and it's been a plan from the beginning. Russia had said, America's going to fall, it's going to fall from within. And then Islam took advantage of that plan and said, you're absolutely right, let's push them over the edge, and it's working. Because we don't, we don't have to get to a majority Muslim nation in order for the plan to work. We just have to get to a non-American nation for the plan to work. And at the same time they're taking down America, they're also converting other countries. Look at how Muslim Southeast Asia has become. Why do you think Japan doesn't let any in? Because they see what's happening in the rest of Asia. So Japan's policy is, no, we're not taking any refugees. We're not taking Muslim immigrants. If by some reason you do get here, we're going to segregate you into a different area so you can't infect everybody else. So Japan's saying, no, we don't want to become like the Philippines. We don't want to become like Singapore. We don't want to become like Laos. Because they see what's happening. Well, what, what happens as this wave of Islam takes over more and more actual official governments in the world? Now they don't have to take over America. They just have to put the, the, the noose around America's neck. So we have to be very careful with what our kids are doing in colleges. Should they even go? Where are they going? 
Is there an organization on campus called the MSA, the Muslim Student Association? Is the ISNA uh, operating in in that that campus area? And if so, leave, run, find the nearest exit, get out, because the agenda isn't even secret. They put this stuff on websites. We're just too afraid to say anything about it because we might be called racist or xenophobic or Islamophobic. Or then we might even blame ourselves and say, oh, well, radical Islam is the result of blowback for Western military aggression. No, it's not. This is the same problem that has been plaguing Europe since before America even existed. Radical Islam, or Islam, as one Muslim told me, is this is their objective. I had a, I had a Muslim lawyer from Iran on the show who said, Josh, you don't have to worry about the radicals. The moderates are far more dangerous. I saw an interview two days ago with a Muslim in, in uh, Great Britain, and this guy was asking him, is it your plan to take over the U.K.? He said, oh, yeah. Yeah. And we're going to. I mean, you're, you're out of it. You're done. Your population is dwindling. Ours is growing. Plus, we're having immigrants. You're done. We won. Go away. Not even apologetic about it. But if we just want to twiddle our thumbs and think, well, you know, what else is there to worry about? This is happening. And Donald does know, hopefully Donald can do something about it. Hopefully Donald stays on the right side of this thing. But even look at people like Michael Flynn. Here we have a lieutenant general who got paid $600,000 to be a foreign agent for Turkey. Now, Turkey is becoming one of the most radically Islamic places on the planet. And he was hired through a shell corporation, which means both sides knew what they were doing was wrong. And he's been hired by Erdogan's side to go after the Gulen side, who's living in Pennsylvania, setting up all these charter schools. Well, how deep does this taproot run? If you have a lieutenant general on an Islamic payroll who went around the country talking about how dangerous Islam is, you have to start asking the question. So obviously, Turkey might be on the side of whoever's really pulling the strings here. Well, guess who said they have a wonderful relationship with Donald Trump? Turkey. And notice how Saudi Arabia came out this past week and said, oh, man, there's no bigger friend to Islam than Donald Trump. Well, wait a second. I'm not, not, not saying Donald Trump's in on it, at least not yet. But it does raise a couple red flags when one of your administration officials has to resign because, well, actually, we found out you were a foreign agent. Oh, that whole, you know, Russian thing? Yeah, that's just the cover. We found out you're working for the Turks. So we got rid of you. But at the same time, these two other radical countries, who are actually the larger sponsors of, of terrorism, they get a total pass, and they're buddy-buddies with the administration. So you have to start asking yourself, does he know? And if so, does he really understand what's going on? Can he do anything about it? If he is on our side, are they going to try to stop him? And as we've been seeing so far in this three-month-old administration, he is stuck in quicksand. Congress has literally passed nothing. They're not planning on passing much. The intelligence community is trying to take him down literally every day. There's people in the bureaucracy above presidential top-secret clearance who are trying to orchestrate some sort of coup or resignation. So we really have to ask ourselves, hey, wait a second, we, we as individuals listening to the Hagman Report, we need to be ready for whatever's coming. That's right. And and I want to point out something. 
This Flynn situation bothers the heck out of me. America's largest mosque complex, and your video pointed this out, known as the Turkish American Culture and Civilization Center, was uh-huh. built with Turkish money under the sur- supervision of the Turkish, Turkish Religious Foundation. It's a $100 million mega mosque. Obama was there to dedicate this uh this seditious center in Lanham, Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. They've got the foothold in this country, and people better wake the hell up and understand what's going on, as you as you so very, very pointedly pointed this out. And, yes, this Flynn situation bothers the heck out of me working for uh, the, the, the Turkish lobbying uh, concern. Come on, man. This is ridiculous. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let me ask you a question, Josh. I just sure. real quick before I forget. Do we know? Okay, obviously you've got commercial airliners flying in these refugees. There's got to be some sort of a contract, whether it's a, a loose or, or uh, there's got to be some paperwork here. Do we know which uh, which airlines are flying them in? Uh, do we know anything about the anything about this um, specifics? We're uh, working in on terms that. of airlines. Okay. All right. Yep, we're 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 actually working on that because since this because it, it, it's almost like this was the first pebble to come out of the dam. Since this first pebble, people are contacting us. You know whether they're running, you know, the shuttle buses, whether they're working in the airports, you know, hey, it was at this gate, that sort of thing. So we're working on that. But the reality is that ultimately, it's going to come down to yeah, so what. That's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to, yeah, so what? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, let's say XYZ Airline was hired to fly from somewhere in the Middle East to Kansas City. So what? That's what we do. They hired us to do it, and we did it. That's it. And that's kind of what we've seen in the past. See, this is this is how we know we're in serious trouble. Because it's not just Islam. Islam has an ally, and it's whatever this shadow deep state government thing is, whatever this really is. Because remember when Obama came out and said, oh, no, 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 no. You heard the rumors in the alternative media that were spying on citizens. No, we don't do that. And then they came out and said, okay, yeah, we do that. Was there a mea culpa? Was there a, hey, you know, we're we repenting, we're going to redo our program? No. There was a, oh, yeah, okay, you you... You caught us. So what? And then it then it was, well, um, you're not supposed to listen to any calls that aren't international. Okay. So what did they do then? And they started running your cell phone calls through towers in Canada, running back in, now it's an international call. So what? And then last time I was on your show, we were talking about this thing called fake news. Well, oh, it, it's only to fight international fake news. Okay. So they're fighting international fake news. Who owns the Internet? Oh, that's right, the international community. Obama signed it over in October. So now the Internet is essentially international. So if you're distributing your your podcasts, your blogs, your articles, whatever you have via the Internet, well, guess what? That's international fake news. So what? And they've gotten us to the point where literally they can do anything to us. And what do we do? Well, we send out a mean tweet or something. I mean, think about this. Think about this. You had Hillary Clinton, who should have been in prison. Literally, I mean, she had, like, how many, 57 pending federal felonies against this lady? 
she should have been in prison. He, her supporters are drinking semen, blood milk, or uh, bre- breast milk and blood. You have people who are running this Pizzagate thing. You have these clues that point to a cult activity. So what? Like, it, they didn't even have to respond. So what? Who's going to do anything? Oh, so the Hagman Report points it out. So what? We still know 90% of Americans are dumb. They're they're attached to their TVs. They're listening to sports instead of, of the Hagman Report. So what? None of this would have stood 200 years ago. None of this would have stood even 60 years ago. But it started with the dumbing down of America, the neutering of the American male, the convincing the American woman that it's bad to be a woman, because if you can convince women it's bad to be women, you essentially neuter the men anyway. So they did that. They got that in place. Now they can do whatever they want to do, and the response is, so what? The Obama administration kills an American teenager. The response was, well, he should have had a better dad. You had um, Michael, and I'm forgetting his last name, killed in a Mercedes-Benz accident while he was investigating drone use. Mercedes came out and said there is no physical way that engine separated from the car without an explosion. The government's response, eh, so what? That's the problem. That's the enemy. That so what enemy has partnered with Islam. Matter of fact, if you go back far enough to Medina, that so what enemy created Islam, but that's a whole show in and of itself. And it's it's been one plan for a very long time. And judging by the next generation, the plan is coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm locked and loaded. And I'm serious. I'm loaded for bear, Josh. I, I don't know what it's going to take. And, 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 and I'll just say this. I'm, I'm sick and tired of these, as you pointed out, the wussified Christians out there, the people who who are, are, are so... Um, milk toast about everything. You better get a grip. You better stand up for for what is right. You better understand it's at our doorstep. It's in our house. Everything, all of this is in our house, and we need to do something. And I got to tell you something: the, the the censorship that's going on. The this is real. Everything that we're talking about yeah. is 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 real. And you know we have to fight back there's nothing in the bible that says we have to turn the other cheek and take this crap i understand what i'm saying here but we're short on time um but i and i'm not apologetic for my tone nor my intent my intent is to fight back and um uh, and I think, Josh, I think all of the independent media who understand the lateness of the hour, um, and I'm speaking to our audience too. If you are, if you are too busy, uh, crocheting a sweater and, 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 and feel yeah. that, that you're, you know, or, or whatever you might be, or, 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 or complaining about, you know, a bad word used here or there, or, or if you're so offended about um, the uh, doctrinal issues that may or may not yeah. be said correctly, then you know what? Get the hell out of my way, because I'm going forward, and I think we all ought to get together, all of the independent media ought to get together, and we ought to just blow the, everything we can out of the water. I'm talking, I'm not talking about with bombs, but, you know, with our with our actions, with... We, we we need to push this forward. We need to push our agenda to get these other people out of the way. 
You're absolutely right. And one thing that you just said, Doug, is, is so crucial. When Jesus said, Father, let them be one as you and I are one, we need that. Stop with the blog post talking about, well, he interpreted Isaiah 53 wrong, and he's a false teacher. Now, shut up. That's not what a false teacher actually is, and it's a false prophet, too. So this, this whole idea that we're going to destroy each other from within. Did Peter say to Paul, Paul, you false teacher? No. Nobody has it right. Nobody. Which is why when Jesus comes back, he's going to set it right. Stop tearing ourselves apart. If you're the enemy, you have to be sitting back saying, are you kidding me? We don't even have to go in. Look at them tearing each other apart on different blog posts. Well, Doug said this, and that's pre-trib, and I'm post-trib, and well, other person's mid-trib, well, they're false. Di- Shut up. Just seriously, you are, you are the problem. You're one of those people in Matthew where you will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Stop drawing a divide in the brethren and build unity in the brethren because that's the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and body and love your brother, love your neighbor. And when we're killing each other, the enemy's winning. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. And thank you. Yeah, I can't believe we're got two, we've got two minutes left. Josh Tolley, his program on GCN, 10 to noon Eastern. That's the real time, by the way. Um, Eastern time, that is. Uh, I gotta tell you, in his YouTube video, just go to the Josh Tolley channel, uh, look for that, that video. What's the title again? It's, uh, I had, um, I, had I think it it's, I think it's diseased refugees entering, getting social security numbers and passports. There it is. Okay. Well, let, let's make and that like go And like I said viral. before, go ahead, copy it, share it, do whatever you want to do because it, it, it's really that important. I know YouTube hits are important, but this message is important because if this is happening and everything points that it is, this needs to be everywhere tomorrow morning. Amen, brother. And, you know, I'm going to thank you so much for your investigative efforts, investigative uh, uh, product on this, and uh, we're going to be following this very closely. Wow. Just just Wow. You're and thank you for taking the point on this, the leadership position, and uh, I'm just proud to know you, brother. I really am. Well, same with you guys. Keep doing what you're doing, and let's let's just keep keep pushing this issue, bringing unity, bringing solutions, and bringing exposure to the problem. And folks, keep supporting their sponsors. I say this every time. If we want the message to grow, support the sponsors of the media that you enjoy. Because that's what allows it to grow. The reason the enemy wins is because they got a ton of money. And it's time that shifts. You got that right. We, we, we got the numbers. We will win on the num- Well, no, we can win on the numbers, but we're going to win on the effort. Josh Tully, thank you so very much. You've closed out the you program guys. for tonight. All right. God bless, brother. And that'll do it for us tonight, ladies and gentlemen. My goodness, what a powerful, powerful hour. Please share this, share that hour with everyone. But m- most importantly, go to Josh Tully, his, his, uh, YouTube channel. And Make sure you Josh subscribe. Tully on YouTube. Yeah. And, and, and get that video out to everyone you know. And let's push for answers. You know what? Stop. Get the hell off the couch. I'm talking to you. Get off the couch. Let's get up. And I don't care if we got to light the torches, carry the pitchforks, but I'll tell you something. I'm saddling for battle. You either join us or get the hell out of our way. Until tomorrow, stay safe, God bless, and have a great evening.